0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, we just finished one of the most unusual days of the year on The Zone. We do it almost every year. Last summer was the exception. Pac-12 Media Day. Don't have normal shows. One interview after another. It's crazy. Had a lot of good stuff yesterday. I'm going to start it off with Brett McMurphy. Writes for Stadium. Um, He's he's a big-time presence on the National College football scene. And... He joined me to talk about realignment, what it means for the SEC and Big 12, but what does it mean for the Pac-12, what can the Pac-12 do, what might the Big 10 do, how could this play out for schools like BYU and the Big 12, is there a partnership there, or is the Big 12 going to come apart? Here's Brett McMurphy on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Brett, good morning.
1: Hey, good morning. Uh, Before I get started, uh, two weeks ago my family and I came out to Utah, we stayed in Park City. Uh, we were out there a week. I was able to visit my favorite Pac-12 conference school in Salt Lake City and also my favorite independent school in Provo. But without question, the highlight of my trip is I hit a golf ball further than I ever have in my entire life, and I absolutely loved it. So I guess we're out of time, so I'll talk to you next week. But thanks for having me on. <laughs>
0: Well, well, Brett, when you drove to Park City, you drove within a mile of my house. I mean, I'd have bought you a meal. You've come on the show enough and you've been a good enough guide to us. I absolutely would have bought you lunch.
1: So, uh, I will get on a plane right now and <laughs>
0: take you up <laughs> Get that free lunch. All right. And uh, PK and I will uh, take you somewhere. I'm terrible. So I'll make you feel good about your game. PK's pretty good. He can probably give you a tip and actually make your game better. So you know we can do we can do lunch and a round of golf next time you come. There are hey, I got so it. I got it. many I courses. It, though. it
1: yeah. just uh, it's so beautiful out there. I lo- I just love that area of the country. So well, I did want to ask anyway, you before I'm sure you we want
0: to talk about conference real life. We do and absolutely. But before we do that, I'm curious because um, everyone feels it to a different degree. And I do to agree. I work at a local TV station here in addition to doing radio. So when something like this happens, you know, when something big happens, you have to drop everything you're doing. This college football stuff, a lot of stuff goes down in the summer. Do you really get summer vacations or for guys, you know, there's probably 10 to 20 of you who really do what you do at the level you do it, and anything happens anywhere in America, do you just have to like, yeah, never mind, I'm not going to the beach today. I'll be sitting over on this computer pounding out a story and doing interviews. I mean, how, yeah, how does it work you're for exactly
1: you? exactly right. Yeah, well, I mean, the good news about my job is I have a lot of flexibility. The bad news about my job is there's a lot of flexibility. So, um, you know, you don't have a nine-to-five job. You don't turn off your phone at 5 o'clock. It's constantly on. You constantly have to be ready for the unexpected. So there, there's obviously good and bad to that. I mean, there are sometimes, times, um, you know, fortunately, a conference realignment didn't break when I was in Utah. But, um, you know, if I'm going to go, you know, out of out of state, you know, I'm based in Florida. So if I'm going to go out of state for a week vacation with my family, you know, I do shut it off and shut it down. And if stuff happens and it, you know, I can't report on it, so be it. But, you know, other than, you know, for a couple weeks, you know, out of the year, when you do that, you, you know, you're basically on call. You got to a point, you know, early in my career where my wife was like, you're not a doctor. You don't have to take everyone's call. I'm like, you don't understand. There's, I'm talking to people out on the, the West coast they've got different time zone. You know, you're talking to people at the East coast. So, and also with a lot of people, you've got one chance to get a call or get a text. And if you don't respond at that time, you may not hear from them for another week. So, um, look, I'm not going to sit here and bellyache about it. I, I love what I do and it's, it's great. And, um, you know, it's just the nature of the beast, and you know, you're right. It's it's going to get a lot more active now that Texas and our year to the SEC, and we see what happens in the other leagues.
0: So I talked to somebody who's well versed in all this kind of stuff, far more better versed than I, and they said it's like squeezing an orange. You got all the juice out of this orange. Oklahoma and Texas, they're kind of a one-off, and obviously we know why the SEC wanted to do that. But to think that all these other leagues are now going to react, there's like no moves available to counter Oklahoma and Texas unless the Big Ten or Notre, or ACC lands Notre Dame. But other than that, there's nothing. People have to look at other ways to unlock value. Do you think that's true? Is that what you're hearing about the ACC adding West Virginia or the Big Ten or Pac-12 taking some of these other Big 12 schools or raiding each other or whatever?
1: Yeah, I think that person you talked to, they're, they're accurate in what they said. However, I don't think anyone really knows definitively yet um, if adding additional schools is going to help, you know, the, the conferences you talked about, the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12. I mean, ultimately, those, those ADs, those commissioners, the presidents are having those discussions right now. They're going to their TV consultants trying to break down the numbers, heck, I guarantee it, they're going to their TV partners, they're going to ESPN, they're going to Fox, whoever they're aligned with, and saying, okay, look, our conference makeup is now 12 schools. It's now 14 schools, whatever the number is. And if we go at team A, B, C, or D, or any combination of those teams, how does that change the value of our contract per school? You're not going to add schools that bring you less money per team So that's something they're looking at. I don't know the answers to that. Um, But then the other thing which makes this round of expansion different than the others is, you know, the SEC smart. They knew, and I thought this for some time. I thought it had died down, but obviously it didn't. I thought at some point we'd get to these 16-team super conferences. So if you're the SEC, if you're Texas or Oklahoma, do you want to be the first conference to get to 16 where you get the top two choices? Or do you want to wait and be the last one to get to 16, and then your options are not so great? Um, If that's the case, um, you know, then you have to wonder if the Big Ten and Pac-12 will react just to get to 16, um, just for security reasons.
0: So the craziest things I heard that still seem plausibly possible are that the Big Ten could raid the Pac-12 for four, six, or eight teams, or some of the top teams in the Big 12 could pull away and you could have two divisions of eight or ten and have this mega conference that I guess goes from Penn State to USC. Uh, there was that, and that the fear of that should drive other teams to accept that the scheduling agreement that the two leagues almost did that then they didn't do a few years ago, they need to put that in play. They need to go to eight conference games and create more intersectional games, ten Power Five games, mostly have those non-conference games be Big Ten versus Pac-12. But USC and Stanford are going to keep playing Notre Dame, and you want them to because that brings a lot of value. Utah's got Florida scheduled. There's some other things like that. But that they need to create this, whether it's 14, 16, 18 games a year, whatever it is, this scheduling agreement, and then they need to take the TV packages uh, to bid together as one contract and that they would be, and I I don't have a legal background to know anything about this, but they would be protected against antitrust because the SEC is the big dog. No one can say you've got a monopoly when the SEC is sitting over there. Uh, They're like-minded. They've had the relationship with the Rose Bowl on their campuses with the presidents, the regents, the faculty. They do like to say we do things differently, so don't go down the road the SEC is going. Do this where you link up even more together without rating each other and kind of um, you know, revealing yourself to be the capitalist that you are. Does that strike you as plausible? Is that anything you've heard, or is that just way too outside the box?
1: Uh, it's not outside the box, but the the one thing that keeps that from happening. There's no commissioner of college football. There's nobody that's overlooking what's best for college football. Everyone's basically seeing what's best for the Pac-12, what's best for the SEC, and rightfully so. You have no, you really have no responsibility to. Well, if I'm going to add Oklahoma, Texas, is that going to hurt the Big Ten? You, you can't think like that. If you do, then the Big Ten's going to add Oklahoma, and Texas. So. What you said makes sense, but until we get kind of a czar of college football that kind of over, oversees everybody, I don't think that will happen, unfortunately.
0: Two commissioners and 26 schools would all have to get on the same page, and that doesn't seem possible. <laughs> I, I get your point there and what the holdup would be there. Uh, so... Do you think the Big 12 is going to, and this is really important to a lot of BYU fans, do you think the Big 12 is going to try to add two or four teams and stay together? Are they all off shopping for new homes? Or, this seems most likely in my mind, both those things will happen at the same time, and these teams will have to decide, do we really want to jump in this boat, or is this boat about to come apart?
1: Um, kind of, Kind of all of the above. Basically... The Big 12 future is dependent on the Big 10, is dependent on the ACC, is dependent on the Pac-12. If any of those leagues decide to expand and pick off members from the Big 12, then the Big 12 will implode. If none of those other power conferences decide that what you mentioned, that none of these other schools bring value to their leagues and they're going to stand pat at 12 or 14 or whatever number they're at, then the remaining Big 12 schools um, we'll be fine. They'll have eight members that, you know, heck, bring back the old Big Eight logo. Um, and then what they've got to decide is moving forward, again, they have now have to ask the question, does it add value to their league to add whatever group of five teams that they would want to add to their conference? Um, does it add them more value per school by adding a Cincinnati or a US, uh, or UCF or a Boise State or a BYU Or are they actually going to make more money per school by remaining at eight? How much security is there in remaining at eight? Those are questions they've got to answer. um, But to use the cliche, they don't control their own fate. They don't control their own destiny. If any of those power leagues decide to expand and pick off some of their teams, then they'll splinter and we'll probably go from 10 FBS conferences to nine in the next three or four years.
0: Brett McMurphy, National College Football Insider, writer for Stadium Network, joining us. As these new TV deals um, get cut, CBS is obviously losing their SEC game of the week. Are they going to be a bidder for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and maybe some other conferences, or are they going to get out of college football? Because obviously more bidders gives the conferences more leverage to get more money.
1: Uh, They may not get out of it but they're certainly not going to pay what they paid the SEC. So they could go to these conferences and say, okay, look, we have an interest in, in doing your games, but you're not getting SEC money. That's why they got out of it. ESPN um, threw more money at the S- SEC, and that's why the SEC left. So I've don't. I haven't, I've talked to people. I don't know if what CBS's strategy is, if they're just basically going to not do football, college football anymore, um, obviously, CBS Sports Network, which is a much smaller
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, division of CBS Sports, they have deals with Group of Five leagues and 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 do games like that. But um, yeah, I don't think I don't foresee them automatically saying, "Okay, we were going to offer, you know, make up a fictitious number. We're going to offer a hundred million to the SEC. Um, well, they're not doing our games anymore, so now we're going to offer this hundred million to the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or whoever it may be." Uh, that's to be determined. But you know one optimistic thing, certainly for the pac twelve and and uh, the Big Ten and other leagues that are redoing their rights deals in the coming coming years. you know there there continues to be this talk that Amazon or Apple or even Netflix, you know, some of these streaming services that you would think they're not going to have live sports, they there's still continual talk that, Behind the scenes, that these guys will at some point jump into live TV rights. And if that happens, then that would obviously be a tremendous opportunity for any of these leagues. And financially, you know, you know how well all those folks are doing right now. So could they make more going through a subscriber service? Possibly, absolutely. Um, Would fan bases have to get used to, you know, turning on Netflix or Amazon to watch their games? Absolutely. Would it matter? No because people will be able to watch it on their device, whether it's a TV, cell phone, you know, whatever app or device you have. Um, And I think that's what the Pac-12 is hoping for. I know that's what the Big 12 was hoping for when they were going to do their media rights deal before Oklahoma and Texas left. So at least there's some, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and I don't necessarily think it's it's a train right now.
0: The best acronym I've heard in a long time, for what they might do to cable, satellite, and over-the-air TV is FANG. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> the Fang. I
1: uh, out Facebook. Facebook's already doing Major League Baseball games. So, yeah, it's, anything's possible. And you know what? bottom line is whatever pays the most money, whatever brings in the most revenue, that's what these leagues are going to do.
0: Brett McMurphy, National College Football Insider and writer for Stadium Network. And, of course, Stadium's had some Utah State games, so uh, some of you are familiar with them. Brett, thanks for a few minutes. And when you're back in Utah, lunch, golf, you know, whatever you want.
1: You got it. I'll take you up on that. All right.
0: There's Brett McMurphy. If you missed part of that interview, like all the other interviews, it's up at 1280 thezonecom or wherever you get podcasts. Coming up next, the new Pac-12 commissioner, George Klaavkov Pac-12 Media Day had a new look. It had a new commissioner, and he has got a new message. George Kliavkoff, the new Pac-12 commissioner, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
4: We love our college football. College football is so
0: it's huge. huge.
5: I uh, I grew up in Phoenix, worked in the LA market, moved to Salt Lake um, 28 years ago, and to see this community just blossom into a college football community. It's just been so fun.
6: I've heard such amazing things about the game day atmosphere. Can't can't wait to experience it. It
5: really is something. I mean the program has just grown immensely right. in the time we've been doing this. It's it's a lot of fun. Great. Uh, New
4: PAC-12 Commissioner George Klyavkov. How did I do? I've been practicing. That's pretty good. I
6: I tell everyone it took me nine years to learn how to say it properly, so (laughs) if you get in the first couple tries, awesome. All
4: of our listeners in in Salt Lake know that I really struggle with names. It's really a thing with me, so I did. I practiced it, so I'm glad I I did all right. All good. uh, So this last week has been – you haven't
6: been busy at all, right? You haven't (laughs) haven't taken any phone calls, nothing. You know, I I was completely prepared for media day. Uh, Five days ago we had done all our work. I had done all my prep, and then – i have to throw everything away and start again uh you know coming into the job i knew there were going to be two or three issues that maybe in my first year that are going to be complex and revolutionary for college athletics i'd have to deal with didn't anticipate six or seven of them in the first three weeks but that's all right we'll figure it out it's a good challenge
5: so here you are and last week was the explosive news we all know about it with oklahoma and texas what trickle-down ramifications do you need to Address immediately if there's any?
6: Yeah, I'm not sure anything needs to be addressed immediately. Uh, So here are my thoughts. My thoughts are uh, immediately with Texas and Oklahoma moving to what looks like it is the SEC. uh, I think that helps us, right? I I think we're the only conference that has teams that play in the Mountain Pacific Division. It's unique. I think if there's chaos in the East, that helps us. Uh, I think if there's consolidation among conferences, uh, that helps us. Um, We also feel like we don't need to add teams for the purpose of adding teams, right? If someone else has 16 or 18, uh, I don't think that means we need to have more than 12. So we start with the uh, conception that, you know, being in the Pac-12 is a golden ticket and the people who are here are great and we have a good tight conference and we need to be better in men's basketball and we need to be better in football. But uh, I love the way we are situated today. I am not actively going out and trying to poach any other teams, but I wouldn't be doing my job. I wouldn't be um, kind of following my fiduciary obligations to our schools if I wasn't listening to incoming requests and my phone's been exploding in the last five days.
4: How important is it, do you think, to be adaptable? Because it just seems, and we're not behind the scenes, obviously, but it seems like what's true today is not true tomorrow. And these are all major, major issues. Is that something that that is going to be of value as you uh, get into this job?
6: Yeah, I I think it's two things. I think it's flexibility, but I think it's also creativity. I think, you know, for us, the solution for this will be a creative solution that may or may not include adding teams. I think there are ways to protect yourself, uh, kind of draw a ring fence around what you have, strengthen yourself necessarily without uh, adding teams.
5: So you mentioned mountain and uh, Pacific. Pacific. Now you said divisions, but that could be time zones too. Uh, Is there value or how much value – If it should come to it, would there be in central time zone?
6: Yeah, so I think the reason to expand, uh, maybe the only reasons to expand, would be to get into a fertile recruiting territory that we're not currently in and to expand into a third time zone. Those would be the two obvious reasons why you would expand. I think the criteria on expansion is probably different for us than it is for some of the other Power Five conferences. I think some of the other conferences focus uh, almost exclusively on economics. That's important to us. But so is academics, uh, athletics across the board and kind of cultural fit. I think those are important as well. And the important part about the financial metric, which is absolutely an important criteria, is This is not about making the pie bigger. This is about making each piece of the pie bigger. And you have to bring on teams, if that's what you decide to do, that increase the pie so big that it offsets adding teams that you have to share it with. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Uh, if if I well let me uh, let me ask this question. Uh, you mentioned earlier in in some comments that this is a football league, and I think that's music to a lot of people's ears because that's not what your predecessor really sold. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that and what you mean by this
6: is a football league? Yeah, I, I don't remember saying this is a football league. I saw it got reported, but I don't think I said that. Uh, I think what I said is that we're going to have a new focus on being really good at men's basketball and. Football and winning championships if we can in those two sports, which we haven't done in a long time. And I think that's the greatest weakness of our league. And the other thing is, I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I think we can do those two things and focus on those two sports without giving up the dominance we have over all of the other sports. You know, 56 of the last 60 years, the Pac 12 has. Uh, had more or uh, the 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 same as any other conference in the highest number of NCAA titles, right? That's a unique position to be, and we're proud of that. We're not giving that up, but that doesn't mean we can't focus at the same time on being better in men's basketball and better in football. And that was part of the announcements today, the announcement of forming a football working group to review everything we do at the conference level, every decision we make, to position ourselves not for parity, which it strikes me has kind of been the positioning uh, previously but for getting cfp invites and for winning national championships so you said your phone has
5: been blowing up the last week or so i'm wondering if you are making calls not to those ones out there but to people into your own house so to
6: speak to make sure they're happy well i've had meetings with presidents, chancellors, uh, meetings with the ADs, coaches. uh, I think people are happy. Uh, Time will tell, but obviously protecting the 12 that we have is a very, very important part of any expansion discussion.
4: Uh, You know, we discussed it on the air when when you were hired, given your background and the important media rights deal that that is coming up and to be negotiated or is in progress. Can you give us kind of a a status update? And do you feel like your background does put you in a position of strength for that?
6: Absolutely. I do do think it does. I think that's probably the primary reason I was hired. But um, I think the... Underlying macro trends about the distribution of video are working in our favor and actually call for a delay in the process. There's no reason to rush to the market now because every month that market gets better. There are more and more players who are combining uh, video content and selling it on a subscription basis directly to customers, and there's less and less relevant content that the traditional linear players have to differentiate themselves. And um, those two trends I don't see ending in the next three years. And we have incredibly unique content. Uh, You know, the highest value content for any of these bundled services is live sports. It's a unique asset. It's something you can have exclusively if you negotiate the rights to it. It is something that is DVR proof, so people don't skip through ads, so it's more valuable to the advertisers. It, it attracts an incredible demographic, particularly if you're uh, selling to Pac-12 alumni and fans. We have some of the best demographics in the world. We have great media markets. And I think we're in a unique position uh, compared to any other conference of owning all of our media rights. And, you know, we're kind of paying the price for it now because we got lapped on the number of dollars that are being distributed from TV rights to each of the schools. Um, probably shouldn't have done a 12 year deal. Easy to say that in hindsight. Uh, but but it puts us in a unique position where we're going to continue to trail in those dollars for the next couple of years, but we'll be in a perfect position when those rights come up three it years from now.
5: Yeah, and obviously distribution of the Pac-12 network has been a big-time issue, it seemed like for the first six years, every time we met with Larry. What about DirecTV? So this is the yep. first time we're meeting you. What about DirecTV?
6: Yeah, unfortunately, I can't fix that, uh, and I'm just going to be transparent about that. The original distribution deals were done with terms that made it make it economically impossible to add new distributors uh, it, uh, for the for the network until those rights come up, so I want to set expectations with our fans that if they want the Pac-12 Network, they're going to have to sign up with one of our current distributors. Uh, we'll fix that uh, as part of balancing revenue and uh, kind of competitive advantage and also uh, kind of wide distribution when we renegotiate the media rights deals, but there's no way I can fix that now, unfortunately. Okay. Well, real quick before we let you go, you liking the gig? Yeah, it's great. You know, it's, it's two of my passions, right? I'm incredibly passionate about college athletics, uh, you know i was not a very good athlete but i was a college athlete and learned a lot from being a college athlete that i think has helped me be a better business person certainly a better father um and you know the the other thing that i'm really passionate about is education uh, that was inculcated in, in me by my parents and um There's a unique kind of mission in this job that I haven't had in any of my other jobs, which is if my colleagues and I do our jobs really well, we create more dollars that we can distribute to the schools. Those dollars go to create scholarships or protect scholarships. And the idea that if I do my job pretty well, more deserving young men and women get to go to a college they otherwise wouldn't get to go to. Pretty special. Yeah. So,
5: you got the MGM in the Vegas background. I was wondering, the Stones are coming to Allegiant on November 6th. Can you set me up?
6: <laughs> you know, uh, Allegiant is not one of the 37 uh, venues that I ran. Uh, so, I ran a lot of venues, but Allegiant was not one of them. I, I'm looking for my way to get a backstage pass. <laughs> swing and I don't, a miss, I PK. Don't need backstage. <laughs> swing and a miss. I don't need, I don't
5: need backstage. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere in the stadium. Will do. Because uh, I yeah. got tickets to. Uh, a concert at the Cosmopolitan on the 5th of November since I'm going to be down there. got
4: yeah. to try. Uh, Don't blame me, brother. And those guys are getting old. <laughs>
6: <No>. <laughs> That's true. Well, it's the 7th farewell tour, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: I want to be there. Let's yeah. hope there's an 8th. Why not? Yeah, there you go.
4: Uh, commissioner, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to meet yeah, you. Thanks pleasure. for jumping on thank with you. us. Thank and, you, guys. Uh, yeah, the great event. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: There's the Pac-12's new commissioner. When we come back, a familiar face, Utah's football coach, Kyle Whittingham, and Britton Covey a couple revealing interviews stay with us
3: take the zone with you wherever you go let's go download the all new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show
0: All right, Britton Covey and Kyle Whittingham sat down with Jake and PK as all the Pac-12 coaches and players rotated through at Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, I thought Britton Covey did a great job about talking about his teammates. Uh, Like Joe Ingles, he has a knack for being interesting and telling the truth while still being a good teammate. And you're going to learn some stuff about his new teammates, including the new quarterback. Here's Britton with PK and Jake. Mr. Four Handicap, from what I hear. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. In the day. Uh, who was it, Garbers?
4: Uh, yeah, it was Garbers. Britton yeah. Covey jumping on with us. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we were talking handicaps with Garbers, and he said, yeah, you're, you're carrying about a four these days.
7: Yeah, well, that's my current. Sometimes I wonder, what's the point, though? Why did I even get down to a four handicap? Like, what am I going to do with that skill? So,
5: Oh, well, beat up on your coach. He thinks he's a player, but he's not.
7: Uh, right. We actually have. I organized the player versus, players versus coaches scramble this week That's on what Thursday. I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, where, is okay. where is it going to be? Players versus coaches. I know. Where is it going to be? It's going to be Eaglewood Golf Course up sure. in North Salt Lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got Drew, the Le- Drew Lisk coming back. So hopefully that gives us a little bit of firepower.
5: Who's a player on your team? Uh,
7: I'd say the the best player is probably Charlie Vincent, running back for East, who's now running back for the U, and then uh, – Charlie Brewer actually is probably Brewer's the next player? best. Yeah, Brewer's a pretty good player. Yeah, okay. So, I would say those guys. Most of the other guys can't hit the ball much, but <laughs> <laughs> but those guys can play. Those guys can play. Yeah. yeah. Well,
4: all right. Well, get Whittingham in the trap, and you'll be fine. He'll <laughs> struggle. Uh, so hey, excited uh, to have you here with us. Uh, it, you know, is it? It's got to be nice to get back to a season. You know, starting with media day. That's a little bit on the normal side, right?
7: Oh yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I was supposed to do this last year, and it was all virtual. I didn't even feel like i did it so i was really excited to come here and i don't know i i feel like i've done a lot of interviews in my career and so it kind of just feels more normal i used to get super nervous before things and now i just realized that people just want you to be yourself and stuff and so uh it's also fun to be with the other guys you know there's 22 yeah. other players here it's fun to be a here in a non-competitive atmosphere with them yeah i've and, heard uh, a lot
5: of guys say that and i don't because they know we're a salt lake station but there's been about four or five of them that brought up your name. Oh, really? And your their interactions with you. Yeah.
7: Oh well, that's nice of them. I. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. I think they just get a, a kick out of me, probably because I am. Goofy, and you're but, small. Yeah, small. You're different. goofy. Yeah, maybe a little bit. So <laughs> losing my hair you know, already. And you're
4: old, <laughs> right? But all, all preseason, all conference twice, might I add. Uh, is it pretty cool to? Uh, I, I guess the you know the recognition might be old hat to you at this point, but uh, pretty cool to have some high expectations set by uh, the folks who consume this
7: conference. I think so. Honestly, sometimes I. I prefer it not not that way, because that's how I was my whole life, but at the same time it's it's kind of a testament to what I've done, um, because my whole life I was never on those lists. I, was, I wasn't I was highly recruited, I was a two-star coming out of high school, no one expected me to play my freshman year, and then coming back from my mission, everyone expected me to play poorly, coming back from ACL, everyone... So having some expectations to me is a sign of respect. and you know that I've kind of overcome certain things that people didn't think I would Uh, so I I think that's just become a pattern in my career I guess
5: well you're a highly skilled player I mean we uh, still reference back to sitting up in the press box in the Coliseum and that punt return against SC and you know I can go on and on really the only thing that has derailed you has been injuries right Uh, and I don't know if it's just circumstance it's your size or what but if you can find us your way to stay on field, you will be productive. I don't think there's any question about that. Can you stay on the field, man? What do you right. need to do to make sure that you're out there those 12 games? Right.
7: Well, you know, it. what's interesting is everybody likes to bring up the, the games where I've been hit way hard and things like that. Washington. Washington <laughs> and, and Washington State last year. Yeah. I've never missed a game or a play or anything from hits. Right. I've never missed. It's all been... My ACL and then a couple soft tissue injuries. So, you know, the concept of getting injured because you're taking hits to me isn't isn't correct as much. It's so you don't worry about that. You don't worry about that as much. You do worry about it for sure. You got to be smart. You know, my old high school coach texts me after every game to run out of bounds and things like that. (laughs) So you got to be smart. But it's the soft tissue, small muscle groups. Those are the things that you got to work on because I've missed a game because of a or two games because of a hamstring. I've missed my ACL and then I missed a game because of a groin, and, and so that's what I've been focusing on this season, the last six months. So I, I hired a personal trainer, Dr. Skyler Main, and he specializes in that. We just do a lot of hips and hamstrings, groins, mm. uh, because that's been the only thing that's taken me out, really. Chase
5: Hansen had a term uh, he used one time when I was interviewing him, and rather than rehab, he called it prehab.
7: Yes, yeah, that definitely. And that's the biggest difference between my body now and in high school or freshman year. I need prehab. But, you know, back in the day, I could just go out, no warm-up, nothing, and I was totally fine. But now you you got to go in an hour before every practice at least, and you got to get foam rolling, stretching, getting these muscle groups firing. So, yeah, I before agree with you. every
5: practice, you're saying, too? Before every practice, yeah, before every
7: practice. That's how you stay healthy. So I've been healthy for about seven, eight months now. And keep it
4: going. So this is this is a hard question to ask because of it's just such a sad story. But Ty Jordan was such a big part of the offense last year and he was a star. I mean, mm-hmm. he was he was just incredible and that's why there's a big on-field component because he was so good. But you know, I guess talk about the challenge of going into the season offensively without a player like that.
7: Yeah. Well, it definitely changes the dynamic because you can use a player like Ty in so many different roles, especially with how many different skill sets he had. Uh, The good thing is we have more depth this year on the offensive side of the ball than any year that I've come through. Uh, And I don't want to – I've learned not to, you know, speak too highly of things before things come to pass, you know, from my past interviews and things. Um, But the depth on the offensive side of the ball is what's really impressive this year. So we're going to have – three tight ends that can play. You're going to have eight receivers that can play, and there's no drop-off between the one and the two. You're going to have um, three running backs, maybe four running backs that are all consistent. So what you lose in a playmaker like Ty, I think you make up for in depth and in rotations and having to have guys fresh rather than just focusing on how can we get this one player the ball. So it, it is tough to, to, to lose that part of your Such offense. Such a tough story. A lot of focus so, on yeah. the
5: quarterback, as you know, I got to admit that I'm a, I'm a little bit skeptical, and you can answer this question that I'm going to get to as I set it up. You know, I know Brewers coming in and he threw uh, for a ton of yards, but I sort of view the Big 12 as like the Colorado Rockies in baseball. Their stats at home are always way better than their stats on the road because of the altitude and whatever. And I view big 12 quarterbacks I have a little bit of skepticism Mm -hmm. because it's like they don't play any defense in that conference the way (laughs) other conferences do. So I don't know what to make of all these yards that he threw for, because I don't know that I believe in the defenses the way he's going to face better defenses, I believe, in the Pac-12. But you've been with this kid. Now, we haven't been. Normally, we could go to spring ball, right. but we haven't been able to do that. And so we didn't see him last year because he wasn't on the team. You're there. What do you? I don't even know if he'll win the job, but if he does, yeah. what do you see from this kid?
7: Well... The first thing that I noticed from Charlie was, and this was always hard for me to do as a quarterback in high school, but I always should have done better at it, was you you trust your matchups, um, even if even if that means just throwing it up to a guy. So, for example, I had Samson Nakua in high school as a receiver. I literally could have just thrown it up every play, but I would I would wait until he was open, to, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, for that reason I had a great completion percentage but I also missed a lot of opportunities I feel like Charlie's really good at understanding matchups to where it's just you know yeah it's going to be this coverage but at the end of the day I trust my guy more than I trust this DB uh-huh. and you see that in his quick decision making it's like he doesn't overcomplicate things he sees a matchup with Vale on the outside with someone and he's like oh I'm taking that um and I think that comes from experience you go look at his film at Baylor lots of fades, lots of inside fades, lots of red zone fades, um, post routes, kind of jump ball type things where he just trusts, he gets to know his players and he trusts them. Um, and I don't think that's going to change. Now, uh, the other thing is, is he's really good at simplifying. And I said this before, simplifying defenses. Um, there's, you know, people trying to disguise things. But in college, you still can get away with most of your reads being pre-snap. Um, and I know Tyler Huntley was that way. I mean, the vast majority of his reads were pre-snap. And uh, as long as you can put the ball on the money, you, you'll you be fine. And it's interesting, because Charlie doesn't have the strongest arm I've ever seen. He's not the tallest I've ever seen. He's not the most athletic I've ever seen. But he he plays a lot like Tyler in that he simplifies the offense. Um, I'm, I'm with you, though. I like slowing down the hype train on things till we see. I think that's important. I think that's good for Charlie, especially because Cam Rising is a great player. Right. You know He right. knows the offense like the back of his hand right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, there really will be a competition there. Um, so I like slowing it down, not trying to hype things up too much. But I also can speak for Charlie in the sense that there's a reason he has 9,000 career passing yards. And uh, there's a reason he is so highly touted.
4: Well, Britton, uh, thank you for jumping on with yeah, us. We course. appreciate we it. It's great to see you. Yeah, I mean, there you got we just people. It's Britton got started.
5: It's Britton did. freaking
4: Covey. Yeah. Talk to him all day. Go ahead. <laughs> what, what, what one thing do you want to ask Britton yeah,
5: Covey? Okay, another hear. thing that I don't like to hype up is performances in the spring game.
7: Oh, because, absolutely. Because
5: I've seen guys that just go crazy and they don't do as much. But this Valet kid caught my eye.
7: Yeah. is How real is he? Well, here's the thing. Valet has performed in every practice for the last year and a half um i've talked with Veley about this person personally so i don't you know he when he gets into a game he gets a little bit nervous and i'm helping him with that right now because when i say like i've never seen potential in someone like i have in veille he's got the same body type as like a tim patrick uh-huh. when we go play pickup ball he's doing through the leg 360 dunks oh, like really? he's the most athletic player you'll meet um and when he gets out on the field in practice, he just dominates. I mean he would route up Jalen Johnson and Julian Blackman. Um, I've heard of those guys. But, <laughs> yeah, no, no, he really but he needs that to carry over to the game where he has that confidence. So yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's more of a mental thing right now where he's working through that and I, I you know, I'm fine with the height being slow, but he's one I can say with confidence that at some point he's gonna break out. Um, because of how good he is, especially if we use him right. I mean, you throw a jump ball to Vele in the red zone, it's an 80% chance he catches it, 20% chance it's incomplete. They're not intercepting that ball. Like, it's the most safe play you can do. So I hope we do things like that cool. with him.
4: Britton, you're yeah. the best. Thanks, buddy.
7: Thanks, We appreciate guys. you. Hey, good Core, luck this sorry. year. Yeah, yeah, good luck okay. this year. Don't we appreciate you. Appreciate
0: you.
4: There's Britton Covey. Now
0: here's the head coach, Kyle Whittingham.
4: Coach Kyle Whittingham <laughs> joining us now from Pac-12 Media Day. Hi, coach. How you guys doing? We're good. Looks we're like good. you're
8: having a lot of fun over here.
4: Yeah. You know what? <laughs> it's good times. It's, so this day is fun for us regardless because we get to geek out and talk to all the sure. know, different important yeah. people. But doesn't it feel amazing that we're back here? Uh, that it, we got some normalcy on the horizon. Coach, we're talking about a 12-game season. It just feels good.
8: It does. It's refreshing to be back uh, to some sense of normalcy, and I'm so sick of Zoom I could I get vomit. (laughs) And so uh, I'm just hoping this is a sign of things to come for the season.
5: A freaking men, no doubt about that. We're all excited. I believe your team has an opportunity to be in the thick of things. We'll see how it plays out. That's probably, uh, I think it's a fair assessment. You can be really good. you got to go get the job done. I don't think you would have disagreed with that. Uh, off the bat, first off, I want to talk about the quarterback deal. Uh, obviously, you got a, you got a competition. There's a reason why Cam Rising won that job last season. And I had heard we weren't allowed to go. But i got people who tell me stuff. <laughs> and, you know, his incredible accuracy and all that type of stuff. And, obviously, it, that's what you guys saw, and you made that decision. And then, unfortunately, he got hurt. But I'm thinking I hear that his health is back. And so uh, Charlie Brewer's got a lot of run. But
8: rising's right there, too. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you got to remember that uh, as good a spring as Charlie had this year, Cam had that good a spring last year in in 2020, and as well a fall camp. You know, he put together an outstanding fall camp, ended up winning the job, like you talked about, got hurt early in that uh, first game, the USC game. Yeah. Significant injury. I mean, that wasn't just a, a, you know, a uh an everyday type of injury that was something that was significant not sure that he was going to recover for that or recover from that so we went to the portal got charlie uh, cam has since recovered he's 100 percent medically probably not 100 percent arm strength wise he's probably 95 percent ish somewhere in there but should be 100 percent by the onset of fall camp and uh and then charlie came in and made the most of his opportunity in this past spring was you know nearly flawless in the in the uh in spring ball and, and was was uh, very good in the spring game and so uh, it's going to be those two guys splitting reps until we see separation. And, uh, and then the subtitle to that or the subplot to that is for the number three spot. we got got Jaquindon Jackson and Peter Costelli battling for, for number three and four. And so two good competitions going on, but obviously the primary one is, is for that starting job
4: so hard to ask about the running back position because ty jordan was so amazing and it's, right. just, it's just such a terrible story it's just yep. hard to ask about it but he was so good last year and so productive you know it is a story on the field so we talk about the running back room and uh, how you uh, hope to replace some of that production yeah well
8: first of all ty was special i mean we've talked uh, a lot about that and i watched his I watched his highlights just the other day and it's just incredible what uh, what he could do and and as a person, and and just as a, a personality on the football team, so I was, you know, we're we just uh, still uh, just broken hearted, and and yeah, you your guts ripped out by by what happened, but. But as far as the room coming up this year, uh, we've really got uh, three or four guys that are in the mix. Mackay Bernard is uh, the guy you talk about first. He's been in the program going on three years now. Uh, he is a tremendous talent. About 5'11", 200 pounds, uh, exceptional speed, great hands. Uh, we had a TJ Pledger from Oklahoma, uh, a terrific young or a terrific uh, running back that's a lot like uh, if you remember John White yeah. from uh, five six seven, maybe longer than that eight ten years ago. Uh, a Seahawk
5: from LA Harbor.
8: There you go. There you go, L.A. <laughs> Harbor Seahawk. And so that's uh, TJ and then uh, Chris Curry, big back, that's uh, got some physicality to him from LSU. He, he's about 5'10", 215 pounds. Uh, added, uh, uh, you know, a, a, just a, a couple of those, those two transfers that really rounded out that room. And and uh, we, we did lose some running backs in the transfer portal, but, but we think our net result uh, when it all is said and done is we came out pretty good.
5: Go big picture the state of the program you seemed like obviously you won the conference or the division a couple of times uh, this year you 're picked second. Mm-hmm. seems like you get enormous respect from everybody out there. It, does that really where the way you get that respect from just so many people? Uh, commensurate to where you think the program is and deserves to be respected?
8: Well, I think we've certainly earned a lot more respect than when we entered the league. It seemed like uh, for the first three or four years, we were always picked last or second to last. And so I think we've come a long way since uh, 2010 or 11, whenever it was that we joined. Yeah. But uh, we don't really pay a lot of attention to the to the preseason uh, polls and predictions and that type of thing. But but uh, it is... It is a positive to be uh, mentioned up there towards the top. That means your brand is is growing and that people are taking notice of, of what you're doing.
5: Yeah, the reason why I bring that up, though, Kyle, is not necessarily to, to, to tout some dumb preseason expectation, but it's more so in that you get a transfer from Baylor, you get transfers from Oklahoma, you get transfers from LSU. You know, those are big name programs, sure. and they want to come to the Utes.
8: Yeah, exactly, and that's it's all part of it, and, and building your brand, we're constantly, that's a, that's a, a, uh, a job that's never finished, you're, you're always trying to, to uh, build your program and, and get your name out there, and we, we, it's like night and day, the doors that we're able to get in and the type of players we're able to attract now, as pre-Pac-12 days, before the Pac-12, it was tough, we couldn't even have gotten the doorway of, of uh, many of the players that we got on our team.
4: So I want to know, did you hypnotize Devin Lloyd to bring him back or (laughs) are you just very persuasive, Coach? You know what? I left that all up to Devin.
8: That was a tough decision for Devin. And, in fact, uh, every single player on our roster that was draft eligible decided to return. Had, had the guys wanted to come out, we probably would have had six, seven, eight draft choices, but uh, they all decided to return, and uh, that tells me, I think they've got some unfinished business in their mind. That's that's the mentality, and they want to come back and and uh, finish this thing the right way, and it was just kind of a bad taste in everybody's mouth after last season, you know, just how, how things went down.
5: One of the things I've noticed about you, you're not a big hype guy, and when you say Player X, Y, Z is going to be pretty good. It's normally, it turns out that way. I can remember years ago, like first day of practice off the side, I said, hey, what about this one kid? He's on your too deep. He's a freshman. His name was Eric Rowe. Yeah. And you looked at me, oh, yeah, he's going to be a player. And he he's still in the NFL, <laughs> right? And this time last year, you were pumping up Nate Ritchie big time. Yeah. So I assume when Nate Ritchie, I don't know where he's serving, but I know he's somewhere. Wherever he comes back, he's probably going to play and go off the NFL But my thought for you is he's gone now, so... Who in that defensive backfield is going to replace him to be an integral part in what you're trying to do defensively?
8: Well, good question. And if you look at our roster and and choose one spot that may not be as deep as you'd like, it'd be at the safety spot. And that's due to losing Nate Ritchie, as you mentioned, to the mission and losing R.J. Hubert uh, in the spring game to a significant knee injury, which will probably keep him out of the entire season. So we're going to have to have some guys step up. Uh, Vontae Davis played a lot of good football for us last year. He's a proven commodity. But the name you want to remember this year, Cole Bishop. Goldfish. He's a guy. Yeah, he's a guy. A kid from Georgia, uh, early entry guy. Came in January. Had a terrific spring. And uh, between him and Kamoi Latu, you know, one of those two guys has to step up and, and fill that void that uh, R.J. Hubert created when he got injured.
4: Of course, Utah USC is always a, uh, a game that gets circled. You know, division rivals, of course. And uh, here it's it's here in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and someplace Utah have not won in a long, long time, if <laughs> yeah. if ever uh why why is it such a difficult place to play is it simply that they're always good or is it
8: something else <laughs> probably both you know they're, they're always a good football team they've got uh, tremendous talent the roster is just riddled with five and four star players and uh coliseum is a tough place to play it's not necessarily the loudest but it's so steeped in tradition and and uh, you know the marching band and all they got going on down there makes it a difficult environment and, and uh we've been close down there but we haven't got it done and and uh, at some point, we got to uh, break down that wall. And uh, we'll see. Maybe it'll be this year. We'll see.
5: Half a yard away a few years there ago. There you go. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Uh, one of your guys a few years back said, Don't read a whole lot in the spring ball. It's not the best competition. So I remembered saying that. Well, the reason why I bring this up is I see this Vele kid, and you lost a couple of receivers to the transfer, and he looked outstanding. But I have a guy telling me, uh, be hesitant on spring
8: ball. How legitimate is this kid? We love him, and we think he's going to be a terrific player. He's got size. He's six foot four, maybe a little better, six four and a quarter. Uh, about two hundred and five pounds. Runs uh, great routes. He's four, sub four five guy, so he's got everything you look for in a receiver. He just hasn't been able to put it together. He's, he's had some injuries that have that have slowed him down. But if he can stay healthy and continue on the trajectory that he's on, it's going to be a good football player for us.
4: Britton Covey was telling us he's doing 360 between-the-leg dunks and stuff. Like, Britton is? You know, no, 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 not. No, no, Vele. No. Vele, 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 Vele. Yeah, he,
8: Vele. Vele. is. And yeah. He's a tremendous athlete, tremendous basketball player, and uh, we added a couple of really nice receivers, too, from the portal. Uh, McCle- Howard. Yeah, exactly. Theo Howard and and uh, Maneer McClain, who's a, a tremendous player from USC, and so uh, they weren't there at spring ball, but you, you'll see him this fall. I promise you that.
4: Last thing for me, Coach. Are you excited about the renovated stadium, the new locker? Can't room, wait. Can't wait. Pretty That's cool. an,
8: after playing in front of nobody last year, to being able to play in, in you know with a fan, with a packed house, and that South addition. Uh, it's going to be incredible, and our players are really looking forward to that.
5: Do you have any guys that are going to be question marks as far as being and arriving when we get to training camp in August? No. Sometimes you mention guys
8: so academically be or eligibility Whatever wise. It might be. Whatever, it we might should be. all be intact. Uh, a few guys' injuries may be lingering the way they won't be able to start right when fall camp starts. Okay. but we should pick them up, you know, soon soon thereafter.
4: Coach, you're the best. Thank you so hey, much as always. Good thank luck. Thank you.
8: Appreciate yeah, you guys.
0: All right, there's Kyle Winningham. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.
3: Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending.
9: Are, Are you ready?
3: On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NFL.
10: One thing before we get started, if I give you some information, at least know the rules before you put them in the press, red and yellow bands. They don't have to wear them at practice. That's for indoors. I got read, we should be fine for red and yellow bands because they ain't got them on their practice. That's if you're gonna report that, make sure it's right. Bruce Arians,
0: coach of the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, always a colorful character. And apparently he's got the goods on somebody or somebody's. Who messed up the reporting? So he put them on blast. Colorful bands and colorful language. That was one bleep, two bleeps, three bleeps, four bleeps, five bleeps. I count Uh, two Fs, two Ss, and a BS. Yep. Yeah, there it is. Staying in Florida. Miami Dolphins Pro Bowl quarterback. Not quarterback. Cornerback. Cornerback. Is the C that close to the Q? No? Okay. Xavier Howard revealed in social media posts that he has requested a trade, saying in part, I don't feel valued or respected by the Dolphins. Just like they can take a business-first approach, so can I. He's due $12 million in non-guaranteed money this season. So, high stakes for him. Losing $12 million in non-guaranteed money pretty quick. Have to see how that plays out. The shades of uh, Aaron Rodgers here. The NFL, heavy-handed? I had never heard that before. Easy for me to say. that, sitting here in a non-NFL state. Whereas he's in the locker room taking whatever he's taking from the Dolphins' front office. There are people who like the Dolphins this year. The Bills are the easy pick to win the division. Jets have a massive rebuilding job. All kinds of question marks in New England. Some people, actually a lot of people, have Buffalo as second best team in the AFC behind only the Chiefs. But Things don't always go according to script in the NFL. Certainly injuries are a massive part of the game. And the Dolphins are getting a little bit of hype. The NFL said there are no restrictions on Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson in training camp despite his facing 22 active lawsuits that alleged sexual assault or sexually inappropriate behavior. Trevor Bauer sitting over there going, I got one and nobody's going to let me out on the field in baseball. But the NFL, if not game on, because we're not at the games yet, practice on. The Green Bay Packers are working on a deal to bring back Randall Cobb to the franchise from the Texans at Aaron Rodgers' behest. The deal will require Cobb to agree to a revamped contract if under the salary cap, but the trade is reportedly close to being done. Why are the Texans cooperating? I get Green Bay's motivation. The Texans are like, oh, you need this guy back? Oh, Sure. What are they getting? Draft picks? Can't wait to see the deal details on that. DJ and PK.
4: Hashtag college football. Thank you. All Appreciate right. it. There you go. That is the commissioner of the Pac-12, George. Uh, uh, now I can't say it. Kal- uh, no, I missed it. <laughs> See, I I I wasted at the beginning. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, you nailed it, man.
5: Just just have Austin back in the studio just George Commissioner, and then he
4: could play the first Kleavkov. Thank uh, you, Austin. That's uh... George Kliavk. Jeez, I blew it there. Sit down. We <laughs> thank you, Austin. Where were you five minutes ago? Two minutes ago. One minute ago. All right. There's Jake Scott struggling with
0: the commissioner's last name. Kleavkov. Of course I've got it right in front of me, so I'm cheating. That was a lot of content from the Pac-12 media days. We just replayed, I thought, a really good interview. I'm with PK. It was just too short. Britton Covey, breaking down quarterbacks, breaking down spring games and expectations. I thought it was excellent. If you didn't hear it, go to 1280thezone.com. Really good stuff. There were so many interviews all day long. I don't know where to jump in. The preseason poll, which we were talking about about 24 hours ago, pretty predictable in the north, very predictable in the south. And the commissioner coming out and saying Utah could win the national championship. Look at him hyping it up. We're going to focus on football and men's basketball. It's not really what the Conference, Champions of, Conference of Champions was known for the last decade. How is he going to leverage the TV negotiations to get the most money possible? To quell any talk of teams jumping or realignment in this part of the world? Very interesting. Other college news. University of Texas and University of Oklahoma formally notified the SEC they're taking, seeking an invitation for membership. Of course, you don't do something like that until everything's done behind the scenes. 11 of the 14 SEC member schools will have to vote for it to happen, and so far people can only identify one no vote, which is Texas A&M. I mean, Tennessee and Kentucky and Vanderbilt and South Carolina are going to get more money, but Mississippi, Mississippi State, how, how are they going to compete? You just accept, hey, we're in the league, and Alabama's going to come to town, or Oklahoma's going to come to town, it's going to be exciting. It is hard for Florida, Georgia, LSU and Auburn to hang with what's going on. For that matter, how's Texas going to compete? Texas has its hands full with Kansas State and Iowa State. But who cares? You're in the exclusive club, you get the money. is going to add former Ohio State and Miami quarterback Tate Martell to their roster this fall. A former four-star prospect out of Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. He's coming home. Two seasons of eligibility left. Couldn't get the starting job at the Ohio State. You drop down a level to a Power 5 school, but no longer an elite Power 5 school Miami. Doesn't work out there. Back home to a group of 5 school. See how that plays out. DJ and PK.
3: Hashtag NBA.
0: As expected, the NBA Board of Governors gave approval Tuesday to the plan and will bring back the play in tournament in April of 2022. Format will be the same as this past season. Teams that finish 7 8 9 10 will play to determine the 7 and 8 seeds. 7 and 8 seeds don't really go anywhere, but owners don't care. It slows down, but doesn't stop, but slows down dumping games. An extra home game is worth a lot of extra money. The owner wants the extra money. That puts the pressure on the GM and the coach, and then the pressure goes right down to the players. Seven and eight, you're going to get an extra home game. You might get two. I guess seven and nine get an extra home game. Seven might get two. Eight might get an extra home game. Even if you're 11th or 12th, if you're close enough, you battle for 10 just to get in. There's a chance. So to that degree, I guess it's good. But how did 7 and 8 do once we got to the playoffs? The Lakers could have, makes air quotes, made some noise if they'd been healthy. But they weren't, so they were out in six games. I'm for it. Go ahead, play it. It's a couple extra games. I'm good with it. I don't think it fixes everything, but it does seem to slow down the dumping of games. At the end of the year, former NBA, our former President Barack Obama has joined NBA Africa as a strategic partner and minority owner. The NBA announced Tuesday, NBA Africa conducts the league's business on that continent, including most notably the new Basketball Africa League. Obama plans to help the league's social responsibility efforts, including programs and partnerships across the continent that support greater gender equality and economic inclusion. He'll also have a minority equity stake in NBA Africa, which he intends to use to fund Obama Foundation youth and leadership programs across Africa. Starting to see some players come out of Africa. And I guess it depends on how you score it. I mean, Akeem Olajuwon would be the best player. I I got that one. Now he came to U.S. colleges, and sometimes people want to create a second category, but... If you're developing young players, if they come to U.S. colleges, I mean, it's kind of like the players getting discovered in Australia. If they come to U.S. colleges, okay. And if they don't, uh, I don't see Jazz fans complaining about Joe Ingles.
9: Well, Patty Mills played at St. Mary's. Yeah, if
0: you come through St. Mary's, Della Vadova, right? Yeah. yeah. So, whatever. Uh, I, I think the cur- the best current player, am I missing someone here, Yak? Would it be Pascal Siakam?
9: He's probably the top current. But a lot more can be done there.
0: And of course the NBA thinks they can also build a lot more fans there, let's be honest. Yeah, (laughs) untapped
9: market? Hello? There's
0: jerseys to be sold. TV money to be acquired. Dallas Mavericks set to hire a NBA assistant. Former Phoenix Suns head coach. Former Jazz assistant. Igor Kokoskov as an assistant on Jason Kitt's coaching staff. Kokoskov was at Fenerbahce in Turkey and of course has a personal relationship with Luka Doncic and told the Phoenix Suns to draft Luka Doncic they didn't and then they fired him now they got to the finals anyway and Aiden was a total bust although he wasn't very good in game 6 either and I think as much as you want his relationship with Doncic what can he tell you about the foreign players coming out of Europe As we watch the U.S. team struggle, losing a couple tune-up games, losing their opener, that was quite the run at the start of the Iran game. Oh my gosh. Don't need to get behind the paywall to see that, thank you very much. But there's a lot made about the U.S. doesn't have their best players, and it's true. It's also true the U.S. doesn't have the best players. Now, it's also true that other countries are only starting to get to the point where they have the depth of NBA players. Yeah. Greece has the Antetokounmpo family, and then the depth falls off dramatically. But right now, there are people who are sure Luka Doncic is the best player in the game. Foreign player. The NBA MVP, Nikola Jokic, foreign player. The NBA Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, foreign player. How are those foreign players doing in the NBA? Awfully good right now. So maybe Igor Kokoskov can help the Mavericks find more because they'd had Don Nelson Jr., who was at the forefront of the international movement, and he's out in Dallas after almost a quarter of a century. All right, DJ and PK.
3: Hashtag Major League Baseball.
1: Whoa!
3: Oh! A tiny, way up there. 36.
9: Two balls and a strike to Fernando, runner on first two outs. This pitch hit in the air to
0: deep left field. Canna not even going to move.
3: It is way, way back underneath the video board and left. Swung on by Votto. That is hit well and gone. Way out of here. I mean a line drive home run that went out of here lickety split.
0: Home runs from around the major leagues. Didn't go with the sound from that Giants game, huh? That was a heck of an error. A lot of stuff went wrong in that. But you heard Shohei Ohtani homer. That's 36 home runs. That's tops in the major leagues. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has 32. Fernando Tatis Jr. has 31. Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado homering as the Padres beat the Athletics 7-4. That's the same score as the Reds and the Cubs. Joey Votto hit two homers in that game. Should mention Shohei in that game. The Rockies beat the Angels 12-3. But the Angels... I mean, we're here for the Shohei Otani Show. Do we, do we think the Angels are going anywhere? The Angels haven't gone anywhere for a while. And 100 games into the season, a nice round number. They have 50 wins, and they have 50 losses. And these days, that puts you at the edge of the wildcard race. The Rays look far and away the best wildcard team, and maybe they'll win the division and make the Red Sox the wildcard team. That's more drama on that end. Uh, And then you get down to all the teams that are barely over 500. Angels are five games behind the A's. Four games behind the Mariners. So that's what they're chasing to get to the wild card. I mean, it's doable, but it just doesn't seem likely the way things are going. As far as the throwing error in the Giants game, Giants and Dodgers playing again. It's 1-1. It's the eighth inning. And everyone's going to focus on Bellinger with the throwing error. He chucked that ball. Man, he he missed the mark at third base by I don't even know how much. It wasn't close. It was a it was you hear a wild throw. It was a wild throw, but a lot of stuff went wrong before that. First off, it's one one in the eighth. Don't walk a guy. Second, don't walk two guys. So you got two runners on because you walked them. The ground ball to second, and I get you want to chase the runner down, tag him, and get the double play. But when you can't tag him because he stops in the baseline. To then throw the ball to first? No. You got to get that runner. Run him back to first and tag him. Or turn and throw the ball to second. I thought throwing the ball to first was option number three. Do you want runners at second and third? Or do you want runners at first and third? It seems like that's a pretty obvious choice. And yet, the wrong one was made. And then came the throwing error. So, I score at least three things going wrong in that inning before the fourth thing went wrong, which was the low light. More for you Giants fans, the highlight. Bees get blown out by the Las Vegas Aviators 11-1. They begin a, six, begin a six-game series in Albuquerque against the Isotopes tomorrow night at 6.35. Trade deadline coming up. Uh, Mariners trade their uh, reliever Kendall Graveman to Houston Astros before acquiring starting left-handed pitcher Tyler Anderson from the Pirates. Washington National star Steven Strasburg will have Season-ending neck surgery after being diagnosed with neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. He was one and two in
9: five starts this year.
0: The guy's had a lot of surgeries.
9: Well, especially he leads into that World Series title in 2019. It's kind of been a just cavalcade of issues since then.
0: When he's healthy, he's awesome. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He's just healthy, but the thoracic syndrome outlet sounds like first cousin to what we've seen with some local athletes here.
9: Well, Nick Emery notably had that same issue. He had surgery for it. Was that the exact same thing? I don't know if it's the exact same thing. He had thoracic outlet syndrome. He had to have surgery on ribs to relieve it. That's why he wore the long sleeves and whatnot. Well, if you gotta have it,
0: you gotta have it. Trade deadline coming up. Um... Adam Frazier, man, the Pirates—they're just—they're just selling
9: fire sale.
0: Yeah, and the Padres—if you got an All-Star second baseman, get another All-Star second baseman. But they can move guys to first base or left field. It's about getting another bat. They don't score as many runs as the Giants and Dodgers, and they want to close the gap. Dodgers actually score almost half a running game more, quite a bit. So deals happening everywhere, and we might have something for you again tomorrow morning. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up next, Chad Ford, NBA draft expert, proprietor of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board newsletter and podcast. He'll join us at 7.30. Eric Walden, Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune at 9 o'clock. What are the Jazz going to do in the draft? Trade up, trade back, trade out. Sit right where they are. Because they like somebody. seems like that's the thing to bet against. There's too many options. And we hear know how much movement there's going to be in this. We had David Locke on last week, and we'll run this by Chad Ford next. Is there anyone that deep in the draft who's going to help the Jazz in the playoffs in the next three years? The future is now. Rudy Gobert is 29 years old. Donovan Mitchell is now done with his rookie contract. He's now into his second deal. And you're a restricted free agent going from that first to the second deal. But he'll be an unrestricted free agent going to his third deal. So the Jazz are on the clock. Whether you want to obsess about Donovan Mitchell's contract, or if you want to obsess about Rudy's advancing age, or if you want to obsess about both, the Jazz are on the clock. The future is now. Now is the time. So are they going to trade out? There are some people who might want to trade in. We'll talk with Chad Ford about that coming up next. Eric Walden, Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. He'll join us at 9 o'clock. We'll get his theories as well. Also coming up this morning... Big story in the Olympics, and the Olympics are on TV right now, so I don't think people are listening to the radio for the Olympics. If you care about the Olympics, I think you're you're following the Olympics. But the Simone Biles story isn't just about the Olympics. This is about local high school sports. This is about local college sports. It may be about the Jazz. But it is definitely about college football and basketball. With, without question. We have Tim LaCombe on. He does the Jazz pre-half and post. He was on the staff at Utah with Rick Majerus uh, back in the 90s. He was, on a, he was at BYU as an assistant coach for a long time. And I asked him, how much more time are you spending on players' mental health and working on their mindset? And mental health is a wide range. Versus what you had to do 10 or 15 years ago. He could barely get out words. He just oh, so much more. 80% more. It's a massive number. It's a huge deal. Now, Simone Biles, four-time Olympic gold medalist, and she also had a bronze from 2016. So I know some people scoffed at this and like, you're at the Olympics, suck it up. And I might have been told that when I was a coach. And honestly, even today, sometimes that might be the right answer. But it isn't always the right answer. And if you're a parent or you're a coach, how are you supposed to know? We'll talk with Riley Jensen about all that at 8 o'clock. And what he sees with athletes' mental health. And, you know, we don't know Simone Biles and we're not with Simone Biles. She's half a world away. So to say specifically this is what is happening with Simone Biles seems like a risky proposition to me. But this also doesn't seem like a one off. I get it's a bigger deal because it's the Olympics and there isn't much else going on in sports and NFL camps haven't opened and the NBA's done. And she's a four time gold medalist and was going to be the face of these games. So I get why it's a big story. But I I don't think this is just specifically about Simone Biles. So we'll talk with Riley about that coming up at 8 o'clock. Chad Ford next. Stay with us. Olympic Updates brought to you by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call Davis Vision today at 801-253-3080. 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to talk NBA Draft now with Chad Ford. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Chad, good morning. Good morning. So, Chad, here comes the NBA Draft Do you feel like this has been obscured a little bit, overlooked, the late finals, into the Olympics? It seems like there's a lot less hype for the second straight year.
2: Yeah, you know, maybe because I'm immersed in the draft, I certainly don't feel that way. I mean, Cade Cunningham is a big buzz name right now. This is one of the best drafts that we've had at the top in a really long time. Uh, I do think that, some of these players maybe don't quite have the same cachet uh, that maybe they normally would, like Jalen Green, for yeah. example, or Jonathan Kaminga because they played in the G League, not in college basketball. But uh, I, I think this is an incredible draft, and uh, I've certainly, on, on my site, seen enormous interest uh, increase in interest over last year.
0: Really? All right. Well, see, that may just go to the local bias of the Jazz drafting 30 and having no shot at Cade Cunningham whatsoever.
2: Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to get excited about the thirtieth pick in any draft. And I think especially this year, there's sort of a cutoff in this draft about where I think the talent really lies that cuts off unfortunately, you know, five, six picks before the Jazz are selecting at thirty. And so I you know, I know just didn't even, you know, talking talking to the Jazz, it's it's tough to get super excited about the thirtieth pick. This draft. I mean, that's normally the case, but I think it's definitely the case this year as well.
0: Okay, but we've seen so many years where when you go back and redraft the draft, the guy who should have been picked high went 10 or 20 or 30 spots later because nobody spotted who he was. Right. Do you think this draft is going to be just absolutely nails and, and be the unusual draft that goes in the order it should? Or. Teams are so good at developing players that we're just always going to have guys sliding and, you know, finding a Kawhi Leonard in the teens, which granted isn't where the Jazz are picking, but finding a Kawhi Leonard or a Donovan Mitchell or a Giannis Antetokounmpo or whoever, they're they're going to be awesome players who aren't going in the top three or top five like they did in the 80s when everything was locked down.
2: Yeah, you know, every year you find – you know, Jens late in the first and even the second. Desmond Bain went uh, to the Memphis Grizzlies with the 30th pick in the draft last year. I mean, so you can point to that and say, okay, here's a chance. But like I know last year, the Jazz liked the bottom of the draft more than they did this year. They, They thought that the strength of last year's draft wasn't necessarily at the top but the incredible depth as you got into the 20s and 30s. And I think teams are feeling less confident about that this year. Now, is there the possibility that one of these uh, young players could turn into a star. You know, we were talking about Brandon Boston, who was ranked number 11 at the top of our board. He's going to be there. JT Thor out of Auburn, who probably would have been a lottery pick in next year's draft if he had stayed in for a year, is going to be there. I mean, there's some prospects there. I think part of the problem for the Jazz is that they don't really have the, the time or roster space to really develop a young player who's particularly raw. They would prefer someone who could come and help them right now. And they also are going to have some financial crunches when they re-sign, hopefully, Mike Conley uh, this summer that are, means they're going to have to be very careful with how they use their their money. And so I think for those reasons, I wouldn't be shocked at all if the Jazz ultimately just decide to trade out of this draft, um, get a future asset and, and hope that that asset is better than the 30th pick in the draft in, in, in years to come. And it saves them a little bit of money and You know, frankly, you know, Utah has got some young players, whether that's Doku or um, uh, even Elijah Hughes, who they drafted last year, that that really they struggled to develop last year. And those guys would probably be ahead of whoever they drafted this year as far as that, you know, development priority came anyway. And so I expect that most likely scenario is Jazz trade out. Probably second best scenario is maybe they find a deal and move up in the draft. Uh, where they can actually find a, a difference maker. I think that would be appealing uh, to Utah if they could do it. I think if they could get it in the high 20s uh, or late teens, then that's a very, very different equation about what type of player might be available to them. Um, but I, I think probably the least likely scenario for me right now is that the Jazz actually draft and keep the 30th pick in the draft.
0: So how are you supposed to do a mock draft if you don't even know which team is picking where? Because apparently the Jazz aren't the only team expected to be making a deal?
2: Well, it's funny that you ask. I just wrote this in my column today that I've never, in all my years of covering the draft, and unfortunately I'm an old man, so it's been there for a while, I've never seen so so many picks for sale or teams trying to move up or down in the draft. It looks like a a typical second round. Five out of the first seven picks uh, might change hands. Uh, The Magic are looking at trading at eight. The Kings are definitely shopping nine. The Hornets have talked and multiple teams about 11. The Pacers have been shopping 13. The Warriors have been very open about 7 and 14 being for sale. Uh, and you can just go on and de- down the list with the Knicks and Lakers and what have you. And so the opportunities for the Jazz to move up are there. There's lots of teams selling, uh, and, you know, it's just just what are you willing to offer to get up in the draft? And is drafting a rookie the right thing for the Jazz going forward? And, and I think if they could get, like I said, in the late teens or early 20s, I think that there, there might be a really good argument that that is going to be the cheapest way for the jazz to be able to address some of their needs, you know, especially like maybe defensively on the wings, uh, than, than you know trying to hit the free agent market and find someone that way.
0: So, you mentioned already that some of the hype for some of these players isn't what it could be because they weren't playing college basketball and we couldn't see them. They were in the G League. Can you state confidently that it is uh, better for guys to go to the G League? More development takes place there. It is better to go to college basketball and be under the spotlight, even though the coach is trying to win now and development. I mean, yeah, I want to develop you, but I need to win now. Uh, that's an attitude for a lot of coaches. What do you think? And and given the fact that the G League hasn't really been the G League the last two years, do you even want to answer this?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we know yet. Uh, I would say that NBA scouts were overall impressed with the G League, and they thought the level of competition was higher than college basketball. They liked that these players were learning pro sets um, right away. You know, the college basketball game is not the same as the NBA game, and so they thought that some of the players were – um not learning bad habits that they often learn in college because that's what you know success in college is but you can't do that in the nba uh, on the other hand i think that and this was a weird year because frankly most college players didn't get this either but, you know the year to be able to socialize and be in college and all the sort of growth that gets that, that comes from that i think typically scouts think there's some value in that now this year because of covid it was a very different different situation, especially for the freshmen, and they probably didn't get to enjoy, uh, you know, much of that, uh, unfortunately. But I think overall, teams are not at all discouraged about the G League. I think they think that, you know, look, if these young men can come and improve themselves against NBA veterans, against people that were drafted, you know, in the first and second rounds of the draft, that if they can do it there, then that, that's a much easier uh, uh, connect the dots to the NBA than it is understanding, you know, what someone does at Kentucky and how that necessarily translates one way or the other to the NBA.
0: Now, I could ask you several more things about this, and there are more things I want to know, but how much is it a moot point? At what point are 18-year-olds going to be able to be drafted again so that people can go from high school straight to, they don't need to go to college or the G League, they can just go straight to the NBA? How far off is that?
2: The NBA wants it. They've wanted it for a number of years. The problem is the Players Association which which has veterans, that those guys come in and take take your jobs. And so, you know, you're always trying to figure out there's always more protection from the player side than there is obviously from the NBA side. And I, I eventually think that this will get done. I think that the Players Association just wants something from the NBA in return, and so far the NBA hasn't been willing to give up anything for that sort of negotiation point. And so the G League was a bit of a compromise in – that it allows NBA to get their hands on these prospects earlier uh, without having to really deal with the NBA Players Association. But I I fully suspect the next time that there's collective bargaining, this will be a major point for the NBA and and that you'll just see players going directly uh, to the NBA now. But I I think in the meantime, the G League is a really nice step. I think it's better than players going over to Australia or going over to Europe and trying to figure figure it out that way. And look, college is always going to be a viable option for players, especially now uh, that they can be, uh, you know, pay, paid for their endorsements. Uh, that's that's going to make life a lot more attractive for college stars that have been frustrated in the past that they can't earn any money uh, while they're in college.
0: Chad Chad Ford, NBA draft expert and proprietor of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board newsletter and podcast, is joining us here to talk about the NBA draft. I'm curious what you think of the foreign players in this draft. I think it's lost on no one. that While Luka Doncic is incredibly exciting, in addition to him, the NBA MVP, Jokic, foreign player, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Finals MVP, foreign player, also a two-time MVP, there is a whole generation of foreign players who are kicking butt and taking names. So, are there more in this draft?
2: Yeah, this isn't the strongest international draft, but I think that there is three players that are all getting looks in the lottery. Not not in the high end. I don't think we're going to see, you know, the fifth pick in the draft. Though you know, Jonathan Kaminga um, is an international player that just came over to the United States early and was playing in high school the last couple of years. But I, I think that you start with Alperen Sengun, uh, the Turkish big man. He's 18 years old, and this this just blows my mind. He won MVP the Turkish league, not some junior division, the senior Turkish league, which is probably one of the two or three best leagues in Europe right now at 18 years old, that only only a player like Luka Doncic has really done anything like that before. The problem with Cingun is that he's sort of a more traditional, old school big man. Uh, and, you know, some teams wonder how exactly that's going to translate to the NBA right now, which is spreading the floor, using, using small ball fives. Can he stay on the floor defensively? But this young man is incredibly gifted offensively. There's some Nikola Jokic uh, in his game. He's not as big as Jokic, and, and I think that matters. But there's some of that just sort of basketball savantness in the way that he plays the game. Josh Giddy is a big point guard, point forward out of Australia who's really intriguing as well. One of the best passers in this draft at 6'8", which is you know really impressive. Uh, and had a really big pro debut in Australia this year, played exceptionally well for an eighteen year old. But he lacks an elite jump shot, and you know, questions about his where he plays defense in the NBA are, are legitimate. And then Usman Garuba, who's playing literally on one of the best teams in Europe, Real Madrid, and is their defensive stopper, is a big man who really doesn't have much offense, but he's a terrific athlete and a terrific engaged defender. And some fans may have actually seen him in a in a scrimmage in Las Vegas against Team USA, where he was guarding and giving problems to Kevin Durant uh, from Team USA. And so there's a uh, those are the three guys that I think will hear their names somewhere in the late lottery, mid first round. All of them, I think, are really interesting prospects. But unfortunately, no, no Luka Doncic this year.
0: So the Final Four had some uh, some pretty good basketball players in there. Where are they going to slot in this draft, and how do you project them as the Final Four? Gonzaga and Baylor, they're they're well represented.
2: Yeah, yeah. Jalen Suggs is going to be the first of that of that group off the board, uh, and you know he's going to go anywhere from four to four to five probably in this draft. I think his draft range is actually pretty tight. He'll either go to Toronto at, at four or the Magic at five, sort of barring a trade. And I think people see him as one of the surest things in this draft. He's tough. Uh, He's got a quarterback mentality as a point guard, can play both positions, excellent athlete, needs to improve his jump shot. But overall, I I think people see him as a very, very high level prospect uh, in the draft. Davian Mitchell, uh, who was the point guard at Baylor, obviously very intriguing. uh, One of the best on the ball, if not the best on the ball defender in college basketball last year gets Um, some comparisons to Donovan Mitchell that, you know, physically there's a lot of similarities between them. The Davion's a little bit smaller and because he's a little bit smaller, he's sliding a little bit further down in the draft. I think his range starts with the Warriors at seven and then, you know, goes down to about 14. And, and then, you know, Jared Butler, uh, who was uh, the most outstanding player in the final four, uh, is a terrific guard. He can play both backcourt positions and absolutely a guy that the Jazz might target if they can get up into the late teens and early 20s. Had a little bit of a medical scare when he came into the combine. They actually held him out, and it was an undisclosed medical condition, but it went on for several weeks before the NBA cleared into play. So teams have gotten a little bit sketch on him and just about what his, what his health holds, but I think That means he slid from late lottery down into the late teens or, you know, 20s, uh, where I think he has huge value. I think he's going to be a really, really good player in the league.
0: I'm curious, and you've touched on this with the Jazz, but about needing, you know, veteran help, win now. I'm curious if anybody among the elite Western teams, which I realize could be half the Western Conference, but Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Suns, Jazz, Warriors, uh, are any of these teams going to find immediate help in the draft? Are any of them poised for that? Or is it everyone's adding projects and nobody yeah. we see is going to be making a dent in the second round of the playoffs next year?
2: I, well, I think there's two things to say about that. One, um, I'm not sure that you ever find immediate help from rookies uh, in the draft. Even when rookies put up big numbers, uh, they tend to do it in a very inefficient way if you look at plus-minus numbers for rookies on their teams, it's almost always negative. Uh, it, it's hard to say a rookie can win. Not that not that they can't have a, a, a solid season, but it, it's hard for them to, to say they're going to help you win. And one great example of that was Tyrese Halliburton, who had an incredible rookie season at Sacramento, um, absolutely helped the Kings, and still couldn't really make a dent in their win-loss win, win, record uh, last year. And so I think if teams are looking for immediate help and at this – team, this player is going to help us win a bunch of basketball games next year. I think it's really, really hard to find in the draft. Now, I do think that you have to look at the totality of what a player might do. And if it's playing 10 to 15 minutes a night, just, you know, giving your starters some rest and, and being able to come in and play competent basketball, then I do think that there's some help here. I think at the top of the draft, everybody's swinging for the fences. I think when you start getting into the late. Uh, late lottery in mid first round, you have some teams with really strong playoff ambitions, whether that's the Pacers or the Warriors or the Knicks, uh, for for example, or the Pelicans, who just made a big deal. And they're going to be after the guys like Davian Mitchell, Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. We didn't talk about him. Maybe the best shooter in this draft. Um, Chris Duarte out of Oregon, who's a guy who's 24 years old already, but teams really see him as a defensive monster. Uh, And and I just really think it depends on where teams are at and what they're thinking. But my general rule of thumb is whether they're 18 years old or 22 years old, they're probably not going to help you win a lot of basketball games in year one. It's just a big, big transition to the NBA.
0: So making that trade with the Pelicans, did the Grizzlies set themselves up for three years from now? Could they have a young core? And is inevitably the 30-somethings age out of the NBA, are the Grizzlies poised for a big leap in a couple of years?
2: Yeah, the Grizzlies are thinking about the future right now. They 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 made the playoffs last year. I think that was a welcome surprise for them, and they'd like to continue to build on that success. But they're not they're not ready to put a championship contender out there right now. And so, the, absolutely, I think that you're not going to see uh, the Grizzlies go get Corey Kispert to try to you know push them into two or three more wins in the season. They're going to go get a young guy and try to add to their core led by John Morant, and and hope that down the road they have a a team that could really compete for a championship. And I think that's the mindset for most of these teams right now when you're drafting, especially in the top ten. Is this a guy who could actually help us be in a championship someday, even if it takes two or three years uh, for them to be in the position to do so?
0: Chad, as always, we appreciate the time, and uh, thanks for coming on and talking draft.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Chad Ford, NBA draft expert, proprietor of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board Newsletter and Podcast. Thinks it's most likely the Jazz trade out of the first round. Roll that asset forward. And it makes sense. Provide a roster spot for a veteran. Save just a little bit of money. Uh, Assuming the Jazz are able to land Mike Conley. Money will be at a premium. Roster spot's already at a premium. And Win-now modes suggest a veteran would be much more useful. More on the draft with Eric Walden coming up at 9 o'clock. Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone
3: the best college football coverage in Utah. 97 twelve eighty. The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: The Top 60 and 60 is back in The Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hanson Scott will announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's The Top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness right here on The Zone Sports Network. As long as we're talking college football, and we got a lot of draft today with the NBA draft coming up tomorrow, uh, I'm reading a lot of stuff about the fallout, the unintended consequences as the SEC expands. Are we on our way to a mega conference? Is the SEC going to the, raid the ACC for four teams and be a 20-team league, two 10-team divisions? There was a time when Jackie Sherrill, the former Texas A&M coach, said four 20-team divisions, 80 teams, you got 20 team conferences, 10 team divisions, and you got 80 teams at the highest level. Now, 80 is a big number and it doesn't look like there's happening. That's happening. It preserves college football's middle class, college football's middle class is getting squeezed. Unintended consequences of the SEC expanding, Alabama and LSU aren't going to play nearly as often. That's a marquee game. But if they end up in separate divisions like everyone thinks and the speculation down in SEC country leads people to believe that's where it's going, that rivalry is lost. Now Texas-Texas A&M is, you know, a go again. But Oklahoma-Oklahoma State's in jeopardy. Will they play it as a non-conference game? Will it move to the start of the season? You know, there's all kinds of questions to be answered. But Bedlam has there have been some pretty fun Bedlam games. And that's toast. Now you get Alabama-Florida more often. So you got all these trade-offs. But teams are getting squeezed out, and they were bringing up how West Virginia has played in some of the highest-rated football games. I didn't know that reading the story, but they're talking about a couple crazy games they were involved in with Oklahoma. And now West Virginia, clearly in the middle class, is getting squeezed. And you can't help but be a Utah-BYU fan and watch this unfold and think, "Mm, what's happening here? (laughs) And where's the seat at the table for us? And for a long time, BYU dreamed of being in the Big 12. Now maybe they can get in. How will the Big 12 be treated? We've had two classes of leagues, Power Five and Group of Five. But are we really about to have three or four? Because I think people looked at the AAC, the American, and the Mountain West were looked at differently than the Sun Belt. And had different TV deals. So we're just going to get this stratified thing where these two or three leagues are at the top and then these two or three leagues. Right now, the pro- the proposal is six conference champions get in. And I think they have to let more conference champions in because I don't think anybody's going to tune in to watch a tournament that has six Big Ten teams and six SEC teams. If you're going to make it a national sport, you're going to have to let people in from all across the country. If the Big 12 sticks together... It comes out of it lessened, certainly, but maybe not as, less, as much lessened as people think. And what is the Pac-12 going to do, and what is the Big Ten going to do? Is the Big Ten going to raid other leagues? Will it be the ACC or the Pac-12? And what gets lost there? The familiarity, the rivalries, what takes a hit? Many questions, few answers. But already looking out at it, the fallout of the SEC. And now, back to basketball. (laughs) We got Summer League tickets. NBA action is back August 3rd, 4th, and 6th as the Salt Lake City Summer League returns to Vivid Arena. Lower bowl tickets start at just $12 to see the Jazz, the Spurs, and the Grizzlies compete. Visit slcsummerleague.com to lock down your seats today. Jazz are going to have two teams in that.
9: They call them an A-team or a team or B team I don't remember what they were going with. they they went with colors. It's the white team and the blue team. That's what they're going with.
0: Don't want you ignoring the second team and treating them as the JV. The B-team. Well, and just as importantly, when you're talking to agents, you think agents want their players on the B-team? Nope. Nope. And let's be honest. They might have more players available at one position. At one position, both teams could be really strong. At another position, you know, maybe you just don't, don't have access to point guards or to big men. I mean, I think big men would be the easiest thing to go to. So, Yach's got a four-pack, and we'll take caller 12 right now. 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. Four tickets to go to the Utah Jazz Summer League. It's August 3rd, 4th, and 6th downtown at the Vivint Arena. DJ and PK. Coming up next, Simone Biles. Pulls out of gymnastics, mental health concerns. I don't think this is just a gymnastics story. I don't think this is just an Olympic Simone Biles story. Riley Jensen coming on next. Consulting mental performance coach and uh, college football expert. And I'm going to ask him a lot about what Tim Lacombe told us about college athletes. I think Riley's going to back it up. So if you are parenting or coaching high school or college athletes, this conversation isn't just for Olympic gold medalists. And it's next. Stay with us.
7: Today has been really stressful, we had a workout this morning, it went okay, and then just
0: that five and a half hour wait or something, I was just like shaking, could barely nap. I've just never felt like this going into a competition before, and I tried to go out here and have fun, and warm up in the back went a little bit better, but then once I came out here I was like, no, mental is not there, so I just need to let the girls do it and focus on myself. Had Simone Biles right there pulling out of the gymnastics competition. The U.S. takes the silver. DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join hands and Scotty G Friday at The Warehouse from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! I have to provide my own. Boom! Right there until PK gets back from vacation. We're going to talk with Riley Jensen here in a minute. Riley Jensen, former Utah State quarterback, worked here at The Zone for a while. Now he's got his own company, and he is a mental performance coach working with uh, Rail Salt Lake, and working with uh, Utah State, Weaver State. He's got other clients as well. And he joins us right now on the Smart Rain Guest Line. July is considered Smart Irrigation Month. To celebrate, Best of State Award winner Smart Rain is giving away free smart controllers to commercial properties until the end of July. Hosting costs not included. Visit smartrain.net or call 877 346 3333 for more info. Riley, good morning.
11: What's going on? That time of year, I can smell football in the air. we got the Olympics going on. It's all kind of fun stuff.
0: Yes, but now there is controversy at the Olympics because Simone Biles, arguably the face of the Olympics coming off four gold medals in 2016 and a fifth medal that was bronze, pulls out of the competition, and that shocks people and hard to believe, but this has been politicized already. I mean, why wouldn't it be? It's gymnastics. Naturally, it's political. And I'm curious what you think when you watch this, but I have to say, I feel like a judge here. I'm going to give you very little latitude here. I feel like I'm in a movie. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not Simone Biles. We're not in Japan. We're not talking to her. So all the people who popped up on social media with these opinions about what's wrong with American youth, I'm like, have you even talked to her? How How can you know from half a world away? Well, I guess you don't have to know to pop off. You get to just pop off. So I don't know how much you wanna speak about that. I eventually I want and pretty quickly I want this conversation to go to, you know, parents of high school athletes and college athletes and because we keep hearing about this. But first, do you have anything on what you heard from Simone Biles, anything that with your experience starts checking boxes?
11: Well, I think, I, l- listen, I think the, the most important thing for us to remember here and with the athletes that I work with, whether they're professional or high-level college athlete, athletes or Olympic athletes, is it, that these are human beings, right, with, with real feelings, with, with real thoughts, with, you know, they're, they're not made of Teflon. And I know there's a lot of people out there wondering, you know, is this a, is this a real win for mental health or is this a, is this a big loss for athletic grit? And I think, I, I think it's way more nuanced than that. And, and in in the world that we live in and the Twitterverse that we live in and the Instagram world that we live in, I know everybody wants to have like a, a, a clear cut picture as to what's exactly going on. But I think you're right. I think this is nuanced. I think this is, I think first and foremost, I'm just concerned for her. Um, I'm there, there's one side of me that's, super proud of her for, for, you know, being able to speak up and talk about these things. And this may be hundreds of thousands of lives of young men and young women that she's influenced to be able to at least speak about how she's really feeling or he's really feeling. And, and I think it can be really, really helpful. And, and then there's, you know, there's the older group, there's the old school group that's like, yeah, but whatever happened to grit, whatever happened to fighting through and, and like you said, we don't know. I mean, we just don't know. I, I would hope that, that athletes are still battling through things and doing those sorts of things, but I also would hope that we've changed a little bit and that we're willing to um, recognize that the mental health and the m- mental stability and the mental toughness of these athletes that we're working with is, is paramount and that it's something that's really important and that's a key component to success a key component to performance. And and we're seeing it right before our eyes.
0: Well, I find it hard to believe that I was reading stuff about grit last night. I'm thinking, well, you probably don't win four Olympic gold medals without grit. So she's got it. In that regard, the fact that we're discussing here someone who is a proven winner at this level removes a piece of the conversation that might have accompanied another athlete at this level who was – at this level for the first time. So I think oh, yeah, I that think that changes the, I mean, she's just too accomplished.
11: No, no question. I, I mean, well, it would be hard for me to imagine even a person who hadn't won four gold medals like she has and hadn't had the grit and, and the, the winner's attitude that she's had in the past. It would be hard for me to imagine somebody that had put five years of their life into trying to get to the Olympics and trying to perform at their highest level. I mean, I can't imagine the... You know the the crevice that she came up to that 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 she had to analyze and say, you know I don't I don't think I can I don't think I can do this I don't know if it's right for my team I don't know if, if it's right for me It's a possibility I could get hurt There's all kinds of different things going on and I just can't even imagine someone who hadn't won a medal that, that would just back out for no reason right for no reason at all I mean th- these people are competitors they want to win of course she wants to win and so it's it's really easy to you know to get on our platforms, and it seems like everybody has a platform lately, and and just kind of to say like, oh yeah, this is this is the way it is, and I, I can't believe she did this, or or this is the way it is, I can't believe that anyone would ever criticize her. I, I mean, I can kind of see a little bit of both sides, but I think what you have to do in that case is you need to take off your fandom hat and put on your human being hat and just say. I'm, I'm worried about this on a whole level, like what, what are we doing to athletes, I and mean, what are we doing to high school kids? What are we doing to college kids that's making them feel this much pressure that they can't even perform in a sport that they they love?
0: I talked to Tim Lacombe about this a while ago, and I was asking him, uh, how much more time were you spending on athletes' mental health at the end of your coaching career? than you were at the start, and he was just like snorting, making noises. He couldn't even speak in words. So much more. I don't know, 80% more, a lot more. And, so, and then subsequently talking to other coaches, well, he's just right in line with what everybody else is saying. So is, is something happening to this generation of kids? And a lot of people go straight to social media and phones. And I'm, there's other things. Could there be environmental factors, food factors? You know, th- there could be a lot of stuff. Is there something I, I, going on you've seen in this generation? Because you played in a previous generation. You know, you're older than these current athletes. You're younger than me and PK. And... We certainly heard "suck it up," and we talked with Steve Cleveland about this, about how things have changed because he played. He's a little older than PK and I, and he played for a generation of coaches who went through the Depression and World War II, which had its own mental health issues that got addressed in a very different way. So we're kind of evolving here, for better or worse, going sideways. I don't know how you would say it, but. For parents who are of one generation, what are they supposed to be looking for in their kids to figure out if their kids are struggling or not?
11: Well, when I, when, when I talk to parents, I ask them all the time, like, "What's your job as a parent? What's your job as a coach?" Right, and those are two different questions. But your job as a coach is to help your athletes to perform at the highest level. And this generation is different. And and yes, we can point to social media. And I think there's I think there's some strong evidence that's talking about our smartphones and and some of those things, but. I think there's also a little bit, and and this might be just a little bit of a different angle, when when you look at the AAUs and all the comp teams and the club teams and all these different things, um, we have taken away the art of practice, in my opinion, meaning we play so many basketball games, we play so many baseball games, we play so many soccer games that we've lost – that ability for a kid to go out and actually just play in his yard and actually kind of mess around. Like and make mistakes where like nobody can see where it's not really a big deal. And so there's I think what's happening to me is that pressure has been on kids a lot longer because they're they're always in games. You know, when I was young, David, when I was learning how to throw a curveball for little league baseball, I mean I probably worked on it for two years in practice, in the backyard with my dad, messing around with my brother, kind of messing around with the sweat on my forehead to see if I could get it to move more—all that kind of stuff. You before, cheater! Yeah, before I ever, before I ever actually like put it into a game or actually threw a curveball in a game. And now you're talking about eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds on comp teams, and you're learning a curveball on the fly, and you're learning it, and and you throw one up around somebody's eyes, and they hit a home run. And all of a sudden, you feel all this pressure, like you let your teammates down, you let your dad down, you let your family down. And I think we can do a better job as parents of of just telling our kids that we love to watch them play, regardless of outcome. I mean, it's a really good thing to say to your kid is, like, I love to watch you play. And then as a coach, like, being really, really attentive as to why you want them to do things the way that you want them to do it. It's really hard to do as a coach. It used to be old school coaches were like, well, you do what I say because I'm the coach and that's what you do. Well, this generation wants to know why, why am I doing this drill? Why am I making this effort? And when they know why they work just as hard as any generation ever has, but that's harder to work for coaches. But I tell coaches all the time, but if you want to win and if you want to be a good coach, you've got to make that extra effort. It's different now. And, and whether you like it or not, it's different. Athletes are different. And I think I think we're seeing this, right? We're seeing that athletes, as much as they win, they, they still have their frailties and their weaknesses. And I think it's okay for us not to be okay. I think it's okay for us to admit that something's qu- not quite right. Now, what the reaction is to that, I mean, there's always going to be consequences to that. There's always going to be the fanatics out there that say different things and do different things. But that's why we have to tune out a little bit. And we have to focus on what's, mo- what's most important now.
0: Not to debate anything you said, but I just think additionally, a separate chapter, there seems to be a baseline of stress and anxiety that people are bringing to, it doesn't matter what, I mean, it could be bringing it to sports, they could be bringing it to music, they could be bringing it to the classroom, they could be bringing it to drama, whatever. There just seems to be a baseline of stress and anxiety. How do you get people to deal with that?
11: Well, I think part of that falls into this this there, there's a huge problem in our society with perfectionism. If, if I had to tell you how many people that I deal with on a day-to-day basis that are dealing with perfectionism, it's it's a large number. Over 80% of the people that I work with are perfectionists. And what that does to us is it, is it sinks our boat before we actually get into the battles, right? And and we just have to be careful about that. And I what I'm trying to switch things to is – Helping people to realize that it's important to try to be excellent, not perfect, and and excellence is a whole different stage. And and here's how I'll explain it to you. I think when I ask people, if I were to ask most of our listeners, who do you think the most successful program in the country is? They'd say Clemson. They'd say Alabama. You know. Well, I and then I turn to him and ask him. So has Alabama won the national championship the last five years in a row? No. LSU's won it. Clemson's won it. Whatever team that they select, they usually – I mean, they haven't won it all in a row. But they're, Alabama or Clemson is always knocking on the door. They're always in the conversation, or Ohio State's in the conversation. And so that's what excellence is. It's not being perfect. It's just that you're always in the conversation, and you're doing your best to be in the conversation. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some. But when we become completely outcome-focused, which it's hard not to do, right – When we're completely outcome focused, we're setting ourselves up for failure because there's always going to be somebody with a nicer car, a bigger house, more prestige, who's a better athlete than you, who runs faster than you, who jumps higher than you, and you're just setting yourself up for failure. You can be really, really, really good at something and, 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 and be really good at what you do and maybe not be the best in any particular category.
0: So to bring this full circle, if you meet someone who's got a lot of stress and anxiety and they're not quite to that moment in the competition that Simone Biles was at, maybe they're a little out, how do you know whether to tell someone to grit it out, press forward, it'll be okay, do your thing, and how do you know to advise someone, hey, pull back, pull out, hit reset, let somebody else step in, you know, in the case of the Olympics, they got the alternates there, and maybe someone should have told Simone Biles that three or four days ago, or maybe this just did happen in the moment, but sometimes it's building up, but how do you advise someone, a parent or a coach who's in the middle of that process?
11: Yeah, I think, well, I, and, and like like you said at the beginning of this conversation, it's, it's tough for me to, to tell you exactly what's going on with Simone, because I, I don't know exactly what's going on with her, right. but I think I think there were some signs, um, even in in qualification rounds, that that there was something going on with her. It wasn't it wasn't the the person that performed in the Rio Olympics, right? And my guess is that there's been some some good efforts both in the sports psychology world, um, in the clinical psychology world for her to be able to work through some of these things. And I think that they they were going on good faith that like, hey, some of these tools, like breathing techniques grounding techniques, noting techniques that these psychological tools that you can put in your tool belt and pull out during competition that they become very, very helpful um, would would work and would prevail over time. Clearly when we when we got to competition it wasn't working. And I think some of that is up to the individual player. Like they have to manage like what they can do and what they can't. What I worry about is is can crippling sport anxiety lead to an accident that, that could cause a lot of damage to someone or, or cause, a, you know, a serious injury. That's, that's where I start feeling like it crosses the line. Like if I feel like somebody is, is not able to, to, or uses the tools and is unable to see any sort of a difference in their, you know, in their anxiousness or in their nervousness or in whatever it is that they're feeling. And then they're going to go do, you know, a triple flip with two twists and try and land I mean that's where I think this is a little bit different line than maybe some different things that we've seen where you know she's ten, eleven, twelve feet in the air upside down, and if she's not able to execute that move at a good pace, we could see a serious injury. And so my guess is some sort of conversation took place there that like hey, if you don't feel like you can do this, let's 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 save this for another day. There's no reason um, to 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 risk physical harm. So I think that's where the line becomes is the conversation with the athlete. Do you think you can still compete and do the normal things that you've normally done and if the answer is no because of the anxiousness then then maybe you have to you have to take a different route.
0: Well, I think we'll leave it right here with the Jerry Sloan quote because who was tougher than the ultimate tough guy? Who was grittier than Jerry Sloan? And Jerry Sloan and you had to hear him speak in person a lot maybe to fully appreciate this. But you know, he could really project right he could make his voice heard to the referee across the court and all that kind of stuff um but just really quietly saying you never know what's going on in somebody else's life
11: well and and especially with pro athletes especially with pro athletes nobody really cares what's going on in their lives i've seen you know studies where you know a pro basketball player is going through a really really difficult custody battle for his children And he loves his children and he's going through all these things and people can't figure out why he's not scoring 20 and 10 and he's a bum and he's not playing the way that he should. Right. You just never know what's going on. And typically, and, and rightfully so, a lot of these pro athletes like to keep their private life private, right? They don't like, you know, their wives, their spouses, their kids to be involved in the news or in what's going on in their lives. So they keep that quiet and, you know the, the the guy on the seventeenth row is yelling at him because he 's not scoring twenty and ten anymore well there's a lot going on in his life. We just never know we I, just never know.
0: I always thought Jerry was informed by uh you know his own life because I think for a long time he had some level of um, if not survivor's guilt, and maybe he had that i don 't know um, but at least kind of analyzing and trying to process why he took the job at his alma mater at Evansville where he'd been a player on an undefeated team and he was going to, you know, in, in a small community that has a lot of pride in its college basketball program and he was going to lead it back to glory and, he, you know, he had a lot of memories there and then he suddenly steps away. He just suddenly leaves and says, nope, I shouldn't do this job. And he's got friends At the university, uh, you know, in the program and all of that, and there's a plane crash, and it's tragic. You can look it up, Evansville Aces and all that. And Jerry, how come I wasn't on that plane? You wouldn't be human if that didn't stay with you for a long time. And so when he says you never know what's going on in somebody's life, you never know how you're circling back to this event that happened years earlier, you know, and trying to process that. And you're right that even without something like that, you know, are you going something in, with your marriage? Are your kids going through something? Uh, your parents, you're working with college athletes, you know, are they losing grandparents? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on we don't know about. So,
11: Yeah, and I think, I mean, Jerry, and I, I, I don't know if it was you who told me this or pointed it out to me while he was coaching. I can't remember who pointed it out to me, but it, if you watched him, he was he was less, Uh, menacing and less difficult on the players in a loss than he was in a win yeah he was much harder on those players (laughs) in a win situation than a loss and i don't know if that was because of dr key tension who was his old buddy that he played against at ball state while he was in college and was the sport psychology consultant for the jazz for many years i don't know if that was on his advice or just jerry learning over the years like hey you know the time the time to prove points and to give lessons is in wins, not losses. But he was, he was better at the psychological game than I think a lot of us think. I think we all can do a little bit better in the psychological game. I mean, if nothing else, if you're a parent, like quit turning your car into a coffin, you know, like don't kill your kids on the drive home. Like give yourself 45 minutes for both of you to cool down before you talk about the game. And and just that advice alone can be really really beneficial and i get it it's emotional i get it it's your kid i get it you know it's somehow you're invested in it but but the better we can do to create an environment where where kids get to enjoy and learn how to work hard and then you know if you get to play college or you get to go to the olympics or you get to play professional like that's icing on the cake but there's nothing wrong with being a really really good high school player and um and learning learning from sports and learning about life and learning how to love your kids and it's 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 important it's important i can't imagine how simone's parents are feeling right now you know not being able to be in japan and be able to give her a hug and love her up i'm sure there's plenty of phone calls going on but man sometimes Just that that touch from your parents, that non-tactile touching where a little hug that releases oxytocin into the system can be really powerful.
0: Riley, as always, we appreciate it. Thank you.
11: I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. I can't wait to do the football season, so let's get it going.
0: It won't be long now. We're almost there. Thanks, Riley. Thanks, man. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up in 30 minutes, Eric Walden, Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. That's coming up in half an hour, talking draft with him. Coming up next, a Kyle Whittingham quote from Pac-12 Media Day. It's ominous. It needs to be taken seriously. It's one of those times when Kyle is quietly telling us the truth. You need to listen to it, read it. Read it again, absorb it, and think about what it really means. He's telling you the truth, not trying to hit you with a sledgehammer, but the truth is a sledgehammer. And we'll get to that next. Stay with us.
3: Win, win, win. It's a win ticket Wednesday on the Zone Sports Network. It's a win ticket Wednesday right here. Win. Listen all day for the win ticket Wednesday sounder for your chance to win tickets. What? Advanced. To all the biggest concerts, games, and other great events here in the state of Utah. It's a win ticket Wednesday right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Woo! On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports
4: Network.
10: Westwood One Sports presents this special update on the 2020 Summer Games. Katie Ledecky has never lost a competitive 1,500-meter freestyle race, but until now, the event was never part of the Olympics. Added for Tokyo, Ledecky took advantage her first gold medal of these games, the seventh of her career. Also in swimming, Americans Erica Sullivan and Alex Walsh both won silver medals kate douglas of bronze the debut of 3x3 basketball the reviews have been favorable u.s women beat france in the semifinals 18-16 then beat roc 18-15 the u.s won the gold baseball is back in the olympics and host japan opened up 4-3 over the dominican republic u.s plays israel on friday in tennis where they've been battling the heat andy murray won the last two gold medals in singles not playing singles in tokyo but he was in the doubles. Murray lost his match today. With this Summer Games Update, I'm John Stashauer, Westwood One Sports.
0: The update from Tokyo brought to you in part by Zero Res. When you get the carpets cleaned, it's never just clean. It's Zero Res clean. Don't have it any other way. Just $33 per room clean plus a fourth room free. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today by calling them at 801-288-9376. 801-288-9376 or schedule online by searching for Zero Res carpet cleaning. And if you want that fourth room for free, you got to ask for it. Pro tip they're not going to bring it up. You have to. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Pac-12 Media Day. Pat Kinahan, Jake Scott, a nine-hour marathon from Los Angeles. There's a lot to mull over there, and we will mull it all over in the run-up to college football. We just had Riley Jensen on, and he can't wait. He's a huge, huge college football fan. We got like five weeks here until the The thing really gets rolling. I guess four
9: weeks to week zero. And he will be joining us weekly uh, as usual.
0: So there's plenty to mull over, but there's one quote I want to focus on right now. Because obviously realignments at the front with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 headed for the SEC. Kyle Whittingham was asked about it. Now Kyle many times has told us the truth in his quietly understated way. But he means it. He says it. He's been talking realignment for a long time. He told both P.K. and I 10 years ago that after Utah joined the Pac-12, this is just the start. We're headed for four 16-team leagues. Now, I haven't spoken to him since the Texas-Oklahoma news broke. He might retract four 16s. He might say it's headed in another direction, that the math is going to be a little different, but to his bigger point that it's not done changing, it's going to keep changing. He is absolutely holding on to that. The quote he gave, uh, and Stuart Mandel has it in The Athletic, other people may have it, I don't know, but that's where I saw it. Um, this is just the beginning. The entire landscape of college football and its structure is going to change dramatically. Bottom line is everyone's got to situate themselves in the best financial arrangement, and everyone's going to be scrambling and not be left out. Now that doesn't sound on the surface all that revolutionary. This is just the beginning. Okay, Oklahoma and Texas is just the beginning? Just the beginning of this round? Because Penn State was an independent for a long time and that was, a, that was big news when they joined the Big Ten. When Arkansas left the Southwest Conference for the SEC, that was big news. When the Half the SWC, the Southwest Conference, blew off the other half and joined with the Big 8 to make the Big 12, that was big news. When Missouri, Nebraska, and Colorado bolted the Big 12, that was big news. When the ACC raided the Big East multiple times, that was big news. Have I made my point, or should I just keep beating the dead horse to death? There's been a lot. please continue. There's been a lot over the last 30 years. And I know there was realignment before that, and, and conference affiliations have changed. But when the Supreme Court said the NCAA doesn't control college football rights, the teams put on the games, and they control them, and they can assign their rights to conferences. 1984. 1984. Oklahoma and Georgia, I think, brought that lawsuit. Correct.
9: It was the Regents of Oklahoma was, what was the official title on it.
0: So— that set off another another wave of realignment. And it's just one wave after another. The entire landscape of college football. To think the Pac-12 is going to be immune from this because of geography. You can argue it should be immune, and I get that argument. But when Kyle says the entire landscape of college football and its structure is going to change dramatically, there are people out there saying, well, if the Big Ten isn't going to make a move, the ACC and Pac-12 need to, because they are going to get picked over by the SEC and the Big Ten. The strongest survive, and they just cut up one league. They're going to come for the other two. And when Kyle says, bottom line is, everyone's going to situate themselves in the best financial arrangement, are you in a better arrangement if you are aligned with USC? I don't think you have to think too hard on that. The answer is Yes you are in a better arrangement. And that arrangement has worked for a long time for Oregon State. It started working for Arizona in the late 70s, and it started working for Utah about 10 years ago. But should those schools think they're always aligned with USC? I mean, if they weren't, that'd be a dramatic change. But here's Kyle. The entire landscape of college football and its structure is going to change dramatically. What do you think he's talking about? Bottom line is, Everyone's got to situate themselves in the best financial arrangement. The story that Stuart Mandel wrote, and he cites some, some people who do this kind of work and who project where rights fees and ratings and where uh, linear TV and cable TV and linear broadcast television and streaming is going. He says the PAC 12, by the end of their next deal, is going to be at 60 million bucks. Sweet, because the SEC's at 60 million with Oklahoma, Texas. Yeah, except by then, the SEC's supposed to be at 90 million. the the SEC is going to keep and and the Big Ten are going to keep piling up the cash and if you don't think they're going to look at USC and Oregon one day read Kyle's quote again everyone's got to situate themselves in the best financial arrangement and everyone's going to be scrambling to not be left out are the Utes locked in and secure in the Pac-12 not in a way Ute fans hoped a decade ago At some point, college sports will stop chasing its tail. But a lot more schools may get left out and may get hurt before that happens. At some point, the richest, most powerful schools have to realize you still have to play somebody. You don't get stronger by cutting out the two teams at the bottom. Or four teams at the bottom. Because somebody's got to be the bottom. Oklahoma and Texas are used to being the big dogs. I know Texas hasn't really done that for a decade. But how's that going to work for Texas if they're in a division with LSU? Texas may be looking at Missouri thinking they can handle them, but Texas has been looking at Iowa State thinking they can handle them too. Somebody's got to be the middle and the bottom. And there's been plenty of speculation about whether the league should come in, the Big Ten or the ACC should come in and grab four or six or eight Pac-12 teams. But somebody's got to be the bottom. Where is the point of diminishing returns? We don't need Oregon State or Washington State or Arizona or Utah or whoever else. I don't know. Utah hasn't been anywhere near the bottom in football. They've got it going and seem to be in the top half of the division most of the time. But whoever it is, in whatever league, whoever's at the bottom can bounce up. And whoever is at the bottom, well, somebody's got to be at the bottom. I mean, if you just make a league out of Alabama and Auburn— and LSU and Oklahoma, and Ohio State and Michigan, in Michigan, and USC and Oregon, someone's going to have to finish eighth. You're going to cut them out because they don't bring as much? At some point, there's diminishing returns, and people have to realize that. And I think the moment is right now for the Pac-12 to try to make that point and say, hey, there's got to be another way to up the value other than by cannibalizing another league. And it's easiest for the Pac-12 to make that point because they don't have anyone obvious to cannibalize. People smarter than me have suggested scheduling agreements between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. And you create a guaranteed number of games there. And then you put all your rights in. And I think you got to know if CBS is staying in. Fox and ESPN are in. And if CBS is staying in... I would copy the NFL. The NFL, for a long time, parceled out their deals and sometimes left one network out there until NBC Sunday Night Football, they brought NBC back in. Hey, there's four networks. Let's have three packages. Nobody wants to be out. Musical chairs will maximize the value. And it worked.
9: The NBC thing was just more of a, you guys, we don't need you and we'll prove it.
0: And then, eventually... Come back on in. Come on back into the NFL family. Yeah. And let's open up a new time slot and, and let's have you open up that bank account.
9: Yeah, let's make lots of money. Well,
0: do it different. Instead of trying to make a coast-to-coast league, why not take two leagues that are already aligned and are coast-to-coast, cut back to eight conference games, schedule a bunch of games interconference. Divvy them up into packages and invite people, hey, how about this package? How about that package? I mean, they're already being divvied up. Fox has the rights to the Big 12 and sells games ESPN. Fox has the rights to the Big 10 and sells games ESPN. And ESPN and Fox have divvied up the Pac-12. You create the packages, 26 teams, 4 time zones, 2 leagues, going to be hard to argue antitrust and say you got a monopoly when the SEC is over here bigger than both of you. I think that's the way for the Pac-12 to go. And they almost did it five or six years ago and then they didn't. You know, we had this question up and someone said, what should the, you know, the question was, what should the Pac-12 do? And someone said, figure out what Larry Scott did and do the opposite. (laughs) Okay, that's funny. But now apply it to real life. They almost did the scheduling thing and then they didn't. Well, if you didn't do it under Larry Scott, do it now that he's gone. And I get there are probably more obstacles than just Larry. It's fun to make fun of Larry. He's walking away a millionaire and the Pac-12's in trouble. But trouble can be good. Creates opportunity to do things a different way. Uh, what we're doing isn't enough. It isn't working. we got to do something else. And I think there'd be plenty of votes for it in the Big Ten for the same reason are plenty of votes that in the Pac-12. Nobody wants Ohio State. Nobody in the Big Ten wants Ohio State and Michigan to leave and join the SEC. The SEC would never do that. Really? Go ask Oklahoma State if the SEC would do that. I think there's plenty of votes for this in the Big Ten. I'm thinking there's about 12 votes for it. And maybe there's 13 or 14. Maybe Michigan, Oklahoma State say, hey, we can have our cake and eat it too. What do we need to go, <laughs> go over there and play all those guys for? All right, DJ and P it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Salt Lake Bees will start a six-game homestand against the Sacramento Rivercats on Thursday, August 12th. Through August 17th, come out and support the Bees. It's better at the ballpark. Tickets on sale now at slbs.com. We have a four-pack of tickets to the game on Friday, August 13th. For caller number 12 right now at 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-9663. All right, there you go. One more time. Hold on to this, Kyle. Because Kyle, uh, Kyle doesn't blow smoke about this stuff. Just think about this quote and let it sink in. This is just the beginning. The entire landscape of college football and its structure is going to change dramatically. Bottom line is, everyone's got to situate themselves in the best financial arrangement, and everyone's going to be scrambling to not be left out. USC and Oregon are not going to keep losing to SEC schools, while SEC schools have 50% more TV money than USC and Oregon. They're not doing it. And Kyle's not lying. So let that quote sink in. DJ and PK, the NBA draft is tomorrow. Eric Walden, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune in 15 minutes. Stay with us.
3: The Big shoe. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
4: Greg Rubell, voice of the BYU Cougars. Let's say the Big 12 just says every university for itself. Maybe people would think that's a negative scenario for BYU, but might it be a positive because they do bring more value than a lot of those schools that all of a sudden would be scrambling? If you were
2: to talk about making an athletics-based and market-based decision for your league in its long-term future, BYU could be a valuable asset. Once you start getting into everything else involving philosophies and fit and all the things that have tended to ruffle some feathers in the highest offices in the past, well, then things get somewhat complicated. But the things that really drive these decisions, BYU checks a lot of boxes for whichever league we're interested Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to
3: 7. Presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, in the Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK brought to you in part by Live Nation. Listen to the Big Show every day, July 28th through August 1st. That's today, starts today. For your chance to win tickets to see your favorite artists at USANA Amphitheater. We'll be giving away a pair of tickets every day to KISS, 311, Lady A, and Alanis Morissette. And here's the best part. You get to pick which concert you want to attend. Get your tickets at LiveNation.com. Brought to you by Live Nation. Well, PK's fond of saying, we all have our biases. Admit your bias. We all have them. It's not like they're getting any, any hosts or any listeners. Who are bias-free. So admit your bias while you bring us the news. Yak was just bringing me news during the commercial break. Admit your bias, Yock. Well, I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan. Uh-huh. And, and what
9: college teams did you grow up rooting for? Well, I grew up a cougar. Right. So. So. What news did you just share with me during the break? Well, this is coming across that Trey Lance, who was the number 3 overall selection in the NFL Draft by but, the San Francisco 49ers. Huh! You're up to date on Niner news. Shocking. Okay. Adam Schefter breaking this, that he has signed his four-year $34.1 million fully guaranteed deal. Wait a minute. How much was that? $34.1 million fully guaranteed. Okay. Well, that leaves only one first-round draft pick from the NFL Draft who remains unsigned. And that would be... The one, the only, Zach Wilson.
0: So, the Niners and a former BYU quarterback and two stories come together and you're the one who sees it first. Fully motivated to see those stories.
9: Well, you know, my (laughs) timeline's been curated to... Exactly! ...send some news my way.
0: $34.1 million. So, there was a time when rookies held out. That time is long gone. Drafts have salary structure and wages built in. There's a very narrow window to negotiate. And Zach gets over $34 million if he signs. Because
9: he was a Senga pick. So he's going to be slotted ahead of... His deal, I believe, is somewhere right. around $36 million overall.
0: So this is really just a footnote. We always knew these two guys are going to sign these two deals and what neighborhood it's going to be in. Sure. And you negotiate everything, and there's some clause they're arguing over. I don't have the energy for it because I think when the season starts, Trey Lance is going to run out there, and Zach's going to run out there. Zach will be a starter, Trey will be a backup. Mm -hmm. But how long will Trey be a backup for? To me, that's a
9: much more interesting story. Reading up on this yesterday, Wilson's issue is the offset language in his deal, which is if he were to be cut in the uh-huh. first four years, uh-huh. the money, and that's how that would be paid out. So. And my eyes are rolling back into the top just, of my head. I'm just adding to the, <laughs> to the allure. I'm sure the they're story.
0: arguing over something. If that's what they're arguing over, they can go over there and argue and knock themselves out. I'll be over here
9: doing other stuff. But you make a very good point. Yeah, come week one. Zach's out there as the starter. Yes, he is. And Trey Lance is on the sideline with a baseball cap. Because Jimmy G's starting. For now. For now. Hey,
0: once upon a time, Tom Brady, the only really major injury he suffered, and I know a minor injury is an injury that happens to someone else, and he played through the torn MCL. But he tore his ACL in the first quarter of game one. Correct. So it's easy to say you're going to be over there on the sideline and Aaron Rodgers played every snap and Jordan Love never got on the field last year. But in another year, Tom Brady got knocked out for the year in the first quarter of the first game. So everything's on the table and Trey Lance had better be ready. Because to quote Jerry Sloan for the second time this hour, nobody here is redshirting; Everybody's check's clear on the 1st and 15th. So be ready to go. And also, There's just been too much quarterback talk with the Niners. It feels like they went to the Super Bowl despite Jimmy Garoppolo. Not because of him. In spite of him, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had that loser behind center, but we got there.
7: Uh, I don't get
0: it. Hey, they want to know if they can get Aaron Rodgers, and I get it. Aaron's an upgrade. They're drafting third. They're taking a quarterback. There's just too much. Is he going to be on the roster Sunday? I don't know if we're going to be alive Sunday.
9: Thank you, Kyle Shanahan. I mean, it's
0: just one thing after another. Timmy, would you quit sucking all the time? You're a disgrace. That's basically the Niners' attitude towards Garoppolo. And I get it, he's not the best quarterback in the league. But it seems like the worst quarterback to be is the quarterback who, not a Super Bowl quarterback, but you are a playoff quarterback. You can get multiple teams, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, man, people will just— de- yeah. Roethlisberger was two-time Super Bowl quarterback. Now he gets his team to the playoff, but the Steelers, like, it's over. We don't really want him back. I mean, they did start 11-0. and How badly could he have sucked? They did lose five in the last six. That seems to be much more important than the winning 11 in a row. They're ready to give up on him. Alex Smith, clearly a playoff quarterback, took three different teams to the playoffs. I think overall, I have to look it up, but I think he played in the playoffs six or seven times. But he only won a couple of games. He wasn't at the Super Bowl level. Phillip Rivers, another guy in that that group. But Grapple is not alone. And the Rams, they went to the Super Bowl and they traded Goff. Thanks. Don't let the door hit you. All right, we're taking a break. When we come back, Eric Walden, Jazz Beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. The Jazz are going to trade out of that 30th spot? We'll ask him that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by SNS Roofing. SNS Roofing is your locally owned roof repair expert. For a free quote and for all your roofing needs, call SNS Roofing. Time to talk NBA draft with Eric Walden, Utah Jazz Beat Rider for the Salt Lake Tribune. He joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. July is considered Smart Irrigation Month to celebrate. Best of State Award winner SmartRain is giving away free smart controllers to commercial properties until the end of July. Hosting costs not included. Visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333 for more info. Eric, good morning.
12: How's it going, Mr. DJ? It's
0: going pretty well. I haven't seen you in a long time. In person. I mean, I've seen you in Zoom. Yeah. Uh, but as Kyle Whittingham said at Media Day, I am so sick of Zoom, I could puke. <laughs> do you think we're going to be Zooming, or do you think we're about to resume what we referred to in the Bullfour times as normal activity?
12: Well, uh, you know, it's funny. we had Some of us beat writers had a conversation with uh, Jazz PR the other day about um, how to kind of approach... Grass coverage. Because in previous years, you know, they had us all over to uh, the ZBBC to hang out and watch it and and be there for when, you know, the Jazz made their picks and Dennis and Justin would come out and, and talk to us and we debated, you know, how are how is everyone feeling about hanging out in person this year and doing it? And uh, it sounds like it's a go. So, you know, those of us who are vaccinated are going to be getting together at the Zion Bank Basketball Campus tomorrow, and hopefully that's the start of uh, a lot more in-person
0: stuff to come. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if TV and radio get invited. Can't wait to see how that plays out. Nobody likes you,
12: TV and radio, guys. Oh, we're aware, of, we're
0: aware of that. Don't worry.
12: You're too pretty. You make it all feel bad.
0: And that has literally never been said to me in my entire life. <laughs> so... That brings up the point, are you going to be over there to hear who they drafted and why? Are you going to be over there to hear that they've traded out of the 30th pick and why?
12: That's a good question. It it, it won't shock me if they trade out of the 30th pick. I guess the question is going to be how do they pull it off. Um, You know, everyone everyone kind of, you know, the scuttlebutt seems to be that they like to move up. And there certainly are teams that would be amenable to letting them move up. The, the question becomes, how do they go about doing that? Because they don't have their own second round pick to throw in a deal this year. They don't. They probably are not going to have their first round pick next year because they still owe one to Memphis from the Mike Conley deal, and that seems likely to convey next year. Uh, the Jazz would have to absolutely crater the season. And finishing the, you know, top finishing the bottom six worst teams in the league last year in order to keep that pick, uh, they don't have their own second round pick next year, you know. So so you can kind of see where we're going. Do they attach a player to make it happen? Uh, you know, do they do they wind up having to attach this year's pick to the likes of Derek Favors in order to move his salary off the books? So. I I do expect them to move it one way or another, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they pull that off and and what exactly their their priority is in doing that.
0: Rudy's 29 years old. Donovan is done with his rookie contract now. He's into the second contract, which is, for lack of a better phrase, the unrestricted contract. Excuse me, the restricted contract. Uh, You know, the third deal, you're an unrestricted free agent. So Donovan signed for five years, but the fifth is his option. So it seems like the Jazz have a three- to four-year window to win now. Do you think they are all in on the winning now part and are not eliminating, because you never eliminate it, but de-emphasizing the whole draft development thing and that that roster spot and money is better spent on a veteran who, while not useful all the time, could be useful in one or two playoff series.
12: Yeah, I think that's absolutely probably what their priority is. You know, um, you finish with the best record uh, in the regular season this year. You know, I'm sure, I don't know if they would admit to it being a surprise to them, but I think it was a surprise to a lot of people there, you know, if you recall, there were some people predicting the Jazz were going to miss the playoffs entirely this season. So them finishing first was certainly surprised some people. But you know, now that you've shown you can get there, but um, you know, continue to have that that heartbreak in the postseason, it seems that uh, they've got great motivation to really kind of go for it. Because yeah, you know, as, as you mentioned, they're in that spot now where. uh, you know, Donovan's making a bunch of money. Rudy's making a bunch of money. These guys are established in the league. Uh, if you can bring Mike Conley back, you know, he's on the he's on the back nine of his career and doesn't probably have too many more seasons of, of elite-level play. So, yeah, they've definitely got to be in uh, win-now mode. They've got to be in go-for-it mode. So, yeah, the question becomes how do they – that you know which which kind of players can they target for that because yeah obviously you know you don't know what you're going to get for all the for all the complaining about you know taking doke instead of desmond bay in a year ago does does desmond bay improve <laughs> the guy who would have got this team into the nba finals i you know i i, I like my chances with uh, nick Batum a lot better you know it's all things being equal but um yeah i think i think they're more inclined to go for veteran help Again, they're going to be trying to navigate, you know, some, some tricky circumstances with the salary cap. Uh, just because, as you mentioned, you know, Donovan goes from a rookie scale contract to an NBA All Star and near All NBA team contract. You know, Rudy got uh, has has his extension kicking in. So, even before we get to Mike Conley. This is becoming an expensive team, and you know it's it's easy for fans to say, "Hey, Ryan Smith's a billionaire; just spend the money." Uh, you know that's, that's true up to a point. Um, it's not your money. You know it's, it's real easy to give away someone else's money, um, and and he's looking at a huge tax bill as it stands right now. So you know there's gonna there's gonna be some trickiness going on there.
0: Rudy and Donovan combined are gonna make a little over sixty-three million dollars next year. So yeah, yeah. let that sink and it just goes up right at 68 yeah. to 73 and a half million and up it goes. So you've already mentioned the possibility of moving Derek favors contract. Who do you think is the jazz backup center or for for backup center might not be right. Who handles the 10 to 15 minutes a game that Rudy Gobert doesn't play?
12: That's, that's an excellent question. You know, um, they're going to have to really start looking into who's available on the market because I think, you know, they, <laughs> that, that Clippers series really kind of drove home the need for a little bit more versatility. You know, um, obviously, I'm sure they'd like uh, Udoka Izabuki to take a step forward this year. And, you know, if nothing else, he's the guy. But I think they would like a guy like a Nick Batum to be able to step in. Um, you know, if possible, he's a guy who for most of his career was was a three um, in Portland and, and Charlotte. And then the way the league has gone, he became a four. And, and now even the way he played last year with the Clippers on a minimum contract, you know, we saw him at the five a lot. Um, the question is going to be, you know, is it, is it feasible to bring him in? You know, he, he played on a minimum deal for the Clippers last year. He played well enough. I don't think he's gettable for a minimum again. So the question becomes, you know, do they want to spend the taxpayer's mid-level exception, which is going to be, what, six and a half, a little less than $7 million this year on Nick Batum, and Can you get him for that? And otherwise, you know, you're looking at, uh, can you afford a Bobby Portis? Can you afford, you know, a, a Nerland Noel, someone like that? Um these are, these are the kind of guys they're going to be looking at. The question is, are they going to be priced out of guys like that? So it's a, it's a good question, DJ.
0: So do you think that um, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, Jordan Clarkson is in a similar price range? They're all over $10 million in salary. Does that group return to run it back one more time, or do you think there's a possibility they're going to get aggressive and we'll see roster changes that might surprise some people?
12: I think there's a possibility of it. You know, um, like I said, you know, I I brought up the favors one, I think, as the season went on, and and then especially how the playoffs unfolded. There was some, there's a little bit of buyer's remorse there, not because, you know, anyone's disappointed in Derek favors. He he obviously is a solid citizen and and, and did what they asked him to and did the best he could, but um, just the fact that, you know it, it, his play clearly diminished, and and you know here he is making the mid level exception. If they could find someone to take that, I think he'd be option number one. Um, Joe Ingles is an interesting one, just because he's in the final year of his deal. Um, you know he's he's making, I want to say a little over thirteen million is his cap hit this coming season. Uh, much as we all love Joe, you know, I think it's it's fair to wonder at this point, is that a bit too much for what we can expect of him going forward? Uh, I, I think it's fair to say his defense has dropped off a little bit. Um, I think we saw that their plan to kind of use him as the de facto, you know, second string point guard uh, did not really kind of pay off the way they wanted, you know, and, and he clearly is better suited for a secondary playmaking role. So he's a candidate um, with Boyon, it's a little trickier because he's got two years left on his deal for more money. Um, you know, can you find someone that wants him at 18.7 million this year, 19.6 next year. And, you know, again, what are you getting back for these guys becomes the point, you know, at, at, at what point are you decimating a team uh, excessively, you know, that finished first in the Western conference? At, at what point do you want to, uh, you know, say, well, we need to change this and this and this, how much, you know, at, at what point does it become a little too reactionary in kind of, uh, you know, killing the identity of this team for the sake of reacting to how one specific series went.
0: So we can talk about the depth of a team as much as we want, but we've seen star-powered drive championship teams for decades, and even though the NBA changes, Giannis Antetokounmpo has three 40-point games in the NBA Finals, 50 in the clinching game, and they get the championship. Donovan Mitchell has found another gear every year he's been in the league. At some point he will peak, but has that happened yet, or do you think he's going to come back even better in the next season?
12: I expect Donovan's going to come back better. You know, I, I think a lot of people in the league feel this way, that, um, you know, he's he's on the verge of becoming just an absolute scoring superstar. You know, Um he hasn't necessarily needed to do that in the regular season, just because of the way this team has been constructed, and the fact that you know Mike Conley had his first All Star season, and Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, when he's healthy and when his wrist is right, is a is a great secondary option. Um, but we've seen him have those moments in the postseason. You know, he's he's one of the top all time points per game scorers in NBA playoff history, and granted, his sample size is. Smaller than a lot of the old timer guys who he's ahead of right now, and and you would expect, you know, that when he gets a little older and into his career, maybe that'll decline a little bit. But yeah, there's absolutely room for him to continue that upward trajectory, and and I don't think anyone uh, believes that he's that he's at his peak yet. You know, um, Rudy Gobert loves to tell us every season that he's always scratching the surface, and and. Maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole with Rudy. I don't feel like that's that's the case with Donovan yet. Um, I feel like there's there's more room to go. I mean, uh, if you had asked someone a couple years ago, who's the better shooter between Devin Booker and, and then Donovan Mitchell, you know, 99 people out of 100 tell you Devin Booker. And is that the case anymore? I mean, you look at their shooting splits and – Donovan was a lot more efficient this last season on a lot more attempts per game, you know, and that wasn't his game coming into the league. So uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about there in terms of in terms of his upcoming growth.
0: Mione, Jawan Morgan, Elijah Hughes, are any of these guys about to take the step that in previous seasons we saw? Royce O'Neill and Joe Ingles' take, where they went from the fringe of the roster into the rotation and contributed. Um, you got any higher hopes for any one of those guys than anybody
9: else? Uh
12: I would honestly be a little surprised that Jawan Morgan is back on the team this coming season. I don't have any inside intel on that, but just given, you know, kind of the way they need to go and, and from what I've seen of him, I don't have a whole lot of hope there. Mie, I know that there's still some kind of internal hope that that he can become you know that he can fulfill some of that uh perimeter wing defense that they're that they're so badly needing but um I don't know the the guy is so foul prone you know he picks up two fouls on his way to the scorers table every game um that and I just don't know if the if the shot is going to be consistent enough I would say, you know, in my view, Elijah Hughes maybe has the best uh, potential there of the three to become something. But um, just given how the rookie season went, you know, again, that's that's a difficult projection to make. But of the three, he's probably the one who I personally would lean towards the most.
0: So you got anybody in this NBA draft you really love, even if the Jazz can't move up to get him, someone who's going to be... The next big star, and you are convinced this is the guy.
12: Yeah, Cade Cunningham. You heard of him?
0: I have. <laughs> but I've seen number one picks flame out before, so not everybody's on the same page. I didn't want to bias you by leading the leading the witness, Your Honor.
12: <laughs> no, there's, you know, I, I don't study the NBA draft with the same intensity and fervor and duration that uh, the great Tony Jones does. Yeah. <laughs> A college basketball fanatic and, and and is watching games nonstop all season long i'm more a guy who pays you know attention here and there during the season but um you know i'm mostly focused on what's going on in the nba and then and then once the jazz season over is over i really kind of take a deep dive in into you know the college basketball season um you know yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of guys who I've come to like and, and think something of in terms of guys who are maybe closer to the Jazz's range. I think Oregon's Chris Duarte is, is going to be a great plug-and-play, uh, 3.3 and D kind of a guy. Um, you know, A lot of teams are maybe a little leery of him just because he's 24 and you don't get the same number of years out of him. Um, but again, I don't think he lasts. To where they can get within range. To I've heard uh, he, he may go, you know, in the teens at this point, in the mid-teens at that. Um, who else? I'm trying to think of some names that uh, you know might be in the in the 20s. I've heard that uh, Ayo Tunmo of, of Illinois is the guy who's starting to kind of creep back up. He was the guy who was initially thought to be a late second round or a late first round pick. Kind of dropped into the middle of the second round at one point. And now seems to be creeping back up. A lot of teams think you know he's a great ball handler and and is a very switchable wing, six uh, five guy out of out of Illinois. Um, who else? Josh Primo is out of Alabama. Is the kid I really like, but uh, I don't know that he makes a ton of sense for the Jazz just because he's the youngest guy in the draft this year. He's 18 years old. And if he were to stay in the draft and come out next year, uh, probably would be a top 10 pick this year. You're paying for a guy who can give you some shooting immediately, but who's going to need a lot of work elsewhere. So, uh, those, those are some of the names that, that stand out to me.
0: Well, as always, we appreciate the time, Eric. Thanks for coming back on the show and, uh, spelling out the draft for us. And, uh, We'll see if they if they make the trade. I I expect that's the way it's going, but it's hard to know because you never know what someone's going to call an offer at the last second.
12: Yeah, and and that's the thing that we're hearing that a lot of teams, you know, are are really kind of expecting a ton of movement this year in the draft, but that uh, you know maybe not a ton of that happens beforehand. You know that it's that it is indeed kind okay. of a last minute thing. So we'll keep our eyes and ears filled and and see how it goes. and uh, in the meantime, thanks for having me on and it was great having a civilized, polite, professional conversation with you and not that other guy. no
0: oh, whatever. <laughs> see, people <laughs> buy that stuff, but you know you and he know each other better than you and I. yeah, you've uh, got you've got Tribune history backstory,
12: yeah, P k and I go way back. i I first got to know him when I was just a uh, Dumb, know nothing student at the University of Utah, trying to find my way in the in the Utah sports market. And uh, believe it or not, PK was actually a guy who who was kind enough to take me under his wing and and kind of help me out and and, and teach me a thing or two. So
0: and then yeah, you come uh, on his radio show and light him up. Is that how? Well, he'd expect nothing less. Actually, though. So yeah,
12: it probably, right. probably works I out. I mean, this is this is how PK and I go. You know.
0: There you go. Well, Eric, we appreciate the time, uh, and people can follow you at Trib Jazz on Twitter for all the draft updates, right? That's right. There it is, at Trib Jazz. All right, thanks, Eric. Thanks, DJ. Bye. Eric Walden, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. DJ and PK, everything you missed in this show, we will get you up to speed next. Stay with us. the update from Tokyo brought to you by Davis Vision. Davis Vision loves teachers. If you're a teacher who needs LASIK, Davis Vision wants to give back. Schedule a free consultation appointment and inquire about additional savings to their summer sale price. Call them today at 801 253 or check them out at davisvisionmd.com. All right, time to get you up to speed on everything you missed in this show. We started with some of the highlights from the Pac-12, me today. And I thought Britton Covey, that interview was a highlight. He he should be teaching master classes in PR to everyone. The truth is, in pro sports, and now in places in college sports, everybody's making so much money. They figure they don't need the free media. Why bother? Give them cliches if you talk to them at all. Of course... Once access is lost, then the media gets more analytical and more critical, and then people complain more, and then there's less access. And it becomes a a feedback loop I don't think is any good for anyone, but pff, nobody asked me, so I move along. But he really did give you insight. If you're a youth fan, you ought to go back to 1280 thezonecom and listen to the whole thing. I'm about to recount some of it, but I won't do it justice. 70% of all communication is nonverbal. you got to hear... The tone of his voice, his inflection, the way he says stuff. He's all for slowing down the hype train on Charlie Brewer. PK brought up the point, hey, 9,000 yards is awesome, but the Big 12 defenses aren't exactly elite. And he really broke down what Charlie did. And as a former quarterback in high school, Britain had an appreciation for it. Trust the matchup. He only threw to Samson Nakua in high school when Samson got open. And he had a great completion percentage, as he pointed out, because of that. But he could have tried to throw him open and let Samson Nakua win jump balls. And he didn't do it. He says Brewer really trusts matchups. And it goes back to this whole issue with the passing game that the Utes have had for a decade that transcends who the quarterback is, who the receivers are, and who the offensive coordinator is. The only constant is Kyle. But if they ever really had a quarterback who could look at a relie- receiver and say, you own this matchup. At the line of scrimmage, I look, and and, and Britton was very into the pre-snap reads. He said, Tyler Huntley did it, and it's how Brewer plays too. Pre-snap, he knows the matchup he really wants to go to. He knows. That pre-snap read tells him what he needs to know. He said, but Brewer trusts these matchups in a way that you know, he never did as a player, and he really appreciates it. So slow down the hype train, but watch for this. The Britton Covey stuff is good. There was a lot of good stuff at Pack 12 Media Day. It's all up at 1280 com. wherever you get podcasts. Anything you miss on the station, you can get there. You can listen later. And Scotty G was just showing me some of the numbers yesterday, and many of you already understand this. <laughs> Holy cow. But I'd advise you to go there and listen to a lot of stuff. Uh, Kyle Whittingham is there. Uh, there, There's a whole list of cast of characters, coaches, and players from all around the Pac-12. But the Britton Covey thing really jumped out at me, and we replayed it this morning. So it's out there for you if you want it. Uh, The other thing was that um, Stuart Mandel has a quote from Kyle Whittingham on realignment. This is just the beginning. The entire landscape of college football and its structure is going to change dramatically. Bottom line is, everyone's got to situate themselves in the best financial arrangement, and everyone's going to be scrambling to not be left out. That's Kyle's quote. And that is such a Kyle quote. On the surface, there's nothing explosive. But when you really let it sink in, he's not kidding. The entire landscape of college football and its structure is going to change dramatically. So when you say USC and Oregon would never leave the Pac-12 for the Big Ten or the ACC, that door's open. The entire landscape of college football and its structure is going to change dramatically. Kyle is saying that's open. Bottom line is everyone's got to situate themselves in the best financial arrangement and everyone's going to be scrambling to not be left out. Kyle's saying it's all about the money. Does Texas put themselves in a situation where it's going to be hard to compete and hard to win championships the way Texas fans expect them? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Based on brand, Texas should have only been battling Oklahoma. Now the fact is, Texas had a hard time catching Kansas State and Iowa State. So now in the SEC, based on brand, Texas should be battling Oklahoma, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, and Florida. Back in the day, kids, there were eight teams in a league. Now there's seven brand names in a 16-team league. And someone has to be the seventh best. And bad news, just because you've got the brand name doesn't mean that you're better than Missouri, any more than it meant you were better than Iowa State. But Kyle is pointing out, people are going to gamble that and they are going to sacrifice that to get the best financial arrangement. Rivalries will come and go, and nothing says that better in Texas and Texas A&M. They were together in the Southwest Conference. They thought it was important to stay together in the Big 12. AM got sick of Texas and bolted and went to the SEC, and they don't play each other. Not even in a bowl game the way BYU and Utah did in Las Vegas. And now, all the reporting out of the SEC, I won't. I won't make you dig into this, but the commissioner knew what was going on, and he's got an executive committee that presumably knew what was going on, and a and was on the executive committee and didn't know what was going on, presumably because people in the SEC were afraid a and would try to mess it up. So now A&M Texas are back together again. Rivalries will come and go. Rivalries are important to us, and they're important to a lot of fan bases, but Utah and BYU aren't in the same league. Kansas and Missouri aren't in the same league. Pitt and Penn State aren't in the same league. Pitt and West Virginia aren't in the same league. I mean, we can go on and on with this. Texas and Texas A&M come and go. And Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have just gone. But Oklahoma and Nebraska, that was an awesome rivalry. And it went away. Everyone's going to be scrambling not to be left out, Kyle says. If you're a Ute fan, you officially have the okay from the head coach to start sweating this everyone is going to be scrambling to not be left out. So if you're a youth fan and thinks we belong, but Oregon State and Washington State should be scrambling, Kyle says everyone. He thinks Oregon State and Washington State will be scrambling. But he says everyone. He thinks the Utes will be scrambling. And let's be honest. USC and Oregon are looking around because they're scrambling because they don't want to be getting $60 million in TV money from the Pac-12 when the SEC is getting $90 million because USC and Oregon fans expect to beat Alabama and Auburn. It's been a little difficult lately. I don't know if you've noticed. So whatever that was that just happened, and it felt like an earthquake with Oklahoma and Texas. You read those Kyle quotes, and it feels like it's going to happen again. And the Pac-12 would be in the middle of it, so they got to figure something to do to be proactive before two, four, six, or 8 Pac-12 teams take off and leave 10, 8, 6, or 4 Pac-12 teams scrambling. If I were one of those teams left scrambling, I would not want to be in that situation, but I'd look at partnering up with some California schools and or some Big 12 schools and thinking, man, if these leagues are going to eat their own, we still have a chance to be the 4th best league in the country. For the last few years, the Pac-12 has been the fifth best league. And now they'll be the fourth. But if half the Pac-12 is going to take off, that'll suck, and we will have a day to mourn that, and we will cry, and we will rage against the heavens. And then we will get on with making the best of it. Because that's what all but about 20 schools are going to have to do. Make the best of it. And there's plenty of crazy rumors right now. Ohio State and Michigan to the SEC. And I've already seen people saying, that's not happening. Well, all the rumors can't happen. But my gosh, everything's being considered. Everything's on the table. And that's what that Kyle Whittingham quote says. All right, we talked NBA draft today. Chad Ford, Eric Walden. Chad Ford, NBA draft expert, proprietor of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board newsletter and podcast. And Eric Walden, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. They both uh, lean towards the jazz trading. Nobody wants to guarantee anything because, honestly, at this point, teams may not even know what the best offer is. You could be somebody else's Plan C, but Plan C may you know if A and B fall apart, Plan C moves to the front, and so even though you don't think it's going to happen now, it might. But the basic logic, and I think everyone sees this, is the Jazz championship window is now. Donovan Mitchell is under contract now. Rudy is twenty nine. Rudy is seven two and moves like few other big men move, but get to 32 or 33, that might, that might not be true anymore. Maybe it will be. Maybe, maybe he'll be freakish in the way Carl Malone was. and still, Carl Malone at 35, 36 could still change ends of the floor in the blink of an eye. He could Whoever was matched up with him, man, you better get ready to run because Carl is changing ends and he's probably going to beat you down court. And if you're 25, he didn't care. He'll beat you down court. And maybe Rudy can do that and beat Father Time. LeBron James, Chris Paul seem to be having some success in that area right now. But if you're a jazz, if you're in jazz management, or if you're a jazz fan and you like to pretend you're in jazz management, or you're media that covers the jazz and you like to pretend you're jazz management, the next three or four years, you're a championship contender. Maybe you will be after that. Maybe you won't be. But you are right now. You have the best record in the NBA. And it looks wide open next year. The Lakers need to make moves. And even if they do and the moves look great, we don't know that their top two players are going to be healthy. Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers, don't know that he's going to be healthy. Jamal Murray with the Nuggets, don't know he's going to be healthy. There's question marks all over the place. So don't be surprised if the Jazz trade out. Now, they can trade up, maybe they get somebody they really like. That's a possibility. You can't rule it out. But at this point, nobody holds all the cards and nobody knows for sure what happens in and, and then chad talked about this that once you get past pick 5 there's two or three spots that that could be traded so between 6 and 12 look out there might there might be some moves there and then everything shakes down from there draft is tomorrow night it's it's a weird deal it for a long time, we could really look at the NBA draft and we saw the players and we knew. And then, well, we don't know quite as much because guys are coming from overseas and we can't know. And Chad Ford identified four guys who will probably go in the top 15 who could be good players in the NBA. And we don't know about those guys. But now there's guys going to the G League, so we don't really know about those guys. And the fact is, even though it sounds like a bad answer, it's turned out to be true. The whole internal development thing, that's an easy thing to say. But... We saw internal development with Donovan Mitchell. We saw it with Rudy Gobert. We saw it in a big way with Royce O'Neill and Joe Ingles. Two guys weren't even in the NBA. They were playing overseas. So since we don't get to do the one-on-one interviews and we don't get to talk to all the people, high school coaches, college coaches, AAU coaches, people who've competed with and against these players, we don't have a good read on really who has the mindset and the drive to get a lot better. And all these guys are projects. I mean, you can be a top-five player, and you got to be a project. We've seen Suggs. We all love Suggs. PK has professed his love for Suggs' game so many times, and nobody ever argues with him. And you guys love to argue with PK. I might even like to argue a time or two, too. But nobody's like, PK, you're up in the night on Suggs. Everybody thinks that dude's awesome. Chad comes on and says, here's how he's got to get better. Everybody's a project, even the top-five picks. So the draft... Kind of takes some of the fun away from it. But it's also good to be surprised. But it is, hard, it is hard to predict what is going to happen. As we found out, even for the people making the picks, it's hard to predict. Because we were easy to predict, Giannis Antetokounmpo would have gone earlier. Kawhi Leonard would have gone earlier. And Donovan Mitchell would have gone earlier. And Rudy Gobert would have gone a lot earlier. So check out Chad Ford. Check out Eric Walden. You can hear both those interviews at 1280thezone.com. Get yourself up to speed for the draft tomorrow night. And with Eric, we went through some other stuff on the roster, too. Likelihoods, likelihood of moves with guys who are in the starting lineup, that kind of stuff. It's all available at 1280thezone.com or wherever you get podcasts. All right. Your feedback coming up next. Stay with us.
12: And that's all over almost here. Don't
10: go nowhere.
0: The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's Top 1660 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health & Fitness, right here on the Zone Sports Network. All right, it is time for your feedback, and we got a little Olympic basketball feedback. Australia beat Italy 86-83. Joe Ingles, 2-0 now. They're rolling. Looking good, chasing that first Olympic basketball medal for Australia. Predictably, Joe dropped a quote in the postgame after that that has caught people's attention. Fan of Aussie basketball tweeted it at uh, multiple members of the local sports media. Joe Ingles was told by an Italian journalist that he was Simone Fontecchio's idol. The Italian had a game-high 22 points. Joe responded, quote, I'm whose idol? Oh, bleep, he needs a better idol. Joe Ingles. Still working it. Working for laughs, that is. I got this guy. Sometimes people tweet stuff at me, and it's like the whole premise throws me. Kendall tweets at me. So, a photo uh, from a, a big crowd at, a, at the Padres game last night. And whoever took it, I assume it's Kendall or someone with Kendall, was sitting high up in right field. Don't tell me San Diego isn't a sports town. Peco is sold out versus the A's. San Diego State football could be much bigger in the right power conference. Make it happen, David D.J. James. Okay, first off, I don't guide uh, conference realignment, so that can't happen. Don't tell me San Diego isn't a sports town. Everywhere is a sports town. If you are somewhere and you have a winner, the place is packed. Everywhere is a sports town. Who said it wasn't a sports town? I mean, the Chargers moved because someone gifted them a a brand-new stadium. (laughs) What's what's that got to do with anything? Before they started uh, flirting with L.A., they had sold out crowds for years. They had huge crowds there. You can go on YouTube and see like Monday Night Football games with flyovers and all sorts of craziness. San Diego State could be much bigger in the right power conference. Anybody could be much bigger in the right power conference. Yes! San Diego State gets into Pac-12 when USC and UCLA leave, and not before. <laughs> that's, that's how that works. Once academics aren't quite the priority, and once uh, people want a presence in California to recruit in California, that's what opens the door for San Diego States and Fresno States of the world. If the four California schools join with Oregon and Washington and split for the ACC or the Big Ten, then San Diego State and Fresno State have a chance. Before then, they have a 0% chance. Not happening. Stay swifty. Hey, DJ, was it you covering the jazz draft party when we drafted Stevenson? No idea, dude. That was 20 years ago. Probably. Sure. I mean, I went pretty much every year. There were a couple exceptions. But yeah, I was probably there. Got a lot of people saying, wow, this is scary. This video has gone viral many times over now. Saturday, I think it was Saturday, there was a rock fall in India. And somebody videotaped it from the deck. And honestly, it doesn't look all that different than Snowbird. I mean, it is different, but it looks different. And I tweeted out where and when did this happen because I saw it on Sunday. It turned out it happened in India on Saturday.
9: And have you seen it, Yach? The rock I, comes down and takes out the bridge. I tweeted it out last night. Nine people were killed in that rock. Really? Tonight. But I, okay, anybody who hasn't seen this video, you can go to either DJ's feed or my feed. We've got it both yeah. up there. You watch that and you think it's coming from like a movie. It's a CGI deal. It does. Yeah. But it is legitimately real life. These boulders are absolutely gargantuan that are falling off that mountain. And there goes the bridge again. Yeah, that that bridge just folds like a piece of paper.
0: Nine people were killed, huh? Were there people in those cars and homes on the other yeah, side so of the
9: river? there were nine, according to what I read, there were nine tourists who were in a car in the area, uh, and Boulder smashed into it. Oof. Yeah, not good.
0: All right, DJ PK, uh, we are all done. Hands and Scotty are coming up next. Stay with us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Remember, anything you missed is up at 1280thezone.com.